Hello and welcome to a, another brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott and with me today I have Brian, John, hello. and Kurt. Oh, hey. Sorry, everybody. Say hello. Good hello. morning. Yeah, this is professional radio time here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting pretty, uh, you know, for a while we were having a hard time getting out shows once a month and we've been cranking them and I put that on you, Brian. You've been kind of uh, driving force behind this. We've been pumping these out once a week. I think it's important that we get a lot more material out during the lockdown. You know, just people are stuck at home. They've got nothing to do, and they're looking to us for something to listen to. Um, I, I and and you know, it's uh, one of one of the things for us is that we've always been able to uh, put out a long show. And I know that's not always preferable to some people, but I think that that for the most part, nobody's complaining a whole lot. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's all good for the coronavirus uh, lockdown right now, and hope. You know, I mean, if as long as this goes on, I, my weekend, my Sundays, I can always make sure I'm free unless there's something really, really big. You know, somebody's sick or you know something else is is, is going on. Um, and so I hope to be able to to record pretty much any weekend. And I know that that um, when I'm putting a show together, not you know using Audacity, I know that my production values aren't always you know the greatest. But I can get them out pretty quick now. So uh, yeah, I'm going to shut yeah. up now. Let you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wants to tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Elsewinds nine and ten. Elsewinds nine and ten. And you know, um, John Byrne just finished issue ten just a few days ago. It's hot off the press. And, and uh, it's interesting because like guys like Jeff Tolbred have been you know getting these things inked and colored within nearly the same day. And, you know, some of the pages. They're not getting all the pages. They're just getting some of them. But they are gorgeous. Yeah. And and they're doing a really, really good job on most of them. Um, now, before we jump into it, you know, do you guys have any kind of impressions from these issues uh, from others, you know, that you've been reading or, or, or hearing about um, outside of just our discussions? Well, for me, most people seem to be really enjoying it. There's a few people that are... I guess bored <laughs> and kind of nitpicking little things, and I guess that's part par for the course. But overall, I think the the re- the receipt of it is very good. People are just enjoying the ride and having a lot of fun. I know I am. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's great. I I really haven't been paying attention to what's been going. You know, to, other than a few comments going around on Facebook. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the artwork and the story so far. I like the ensemble cast. That is the FF, the Avengers. Mm-hmm. They're pulling in a lot of the Marvel Universe. I'm not certain in this issue why Spider-Man needed to show up, but the fact that he did is fine. I'm I'm really enjoying the ride. Yeah, this issue's got a lot of great great events, and of course, you know, it it, it showcases a lot of characters that we haven't seen Burn draw in ages. So, without yeah, further maybe, ado, um, well. I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's why he brought Spider-Man in, just because he's in the sandbox and there's the toys, and this is a opportunity for him to to draw them all again in some capacity and the things that he really cared about. So, uh, and it was always fun uh, back in this Bronze Age when uh, when you'd pick up a book and occasionally when you would see like just a passing reference to somebody just showing up or whatever, not really integral to the story but it just showed that world build that shared universe stuff which i thought was always uh really cool to see the guest stars that were really not the guest stars you know the cameos yeah but i i think we're missing one thing here i think spider-man's actual appearance is integral to the storyline because he's the one that can uh, relay for everybody else 
without getting killed <laughs> that that the Sentinels are not just going after mutants. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. it felt a little bit that, like that's why that scene was there, a little more as a exposition scene. But to, to John's point, that's what I think is what attracted me to Marvel as opposed to, and I don't want to dump on DC because I haven't read them as much, but to what I loved about Marvel when you were reading it, you would just have a mention of another character. Like you said, it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. It just shows that they're all together in New York, and of course they're going to bump into each other. So, How about the, the, the other things that went on? Like in Spider-Man, at the end of an issue, he's sitting there and he's beat up and everything. And he's basically getting ready to go home, and it starts snowing. And you know that's happening because it's happening in Thor's book. Right. Yeah. That was cool stuff. Yeah. And so it was, it was great things like that, you know, across the company, keeping that line of communication open so everybody knew what was going on everywhere. So it could affect everyone. And it wasn't, um, oh, you know, this is a clash of the titans crossover and so everybody you know it's like a 15 book event it's just something that's going on in the marvel universe well and it helped that i always felt it helped the reader because you'd have those great editorial notes like uh if you want to know what's happening see thor number whatever and that yeah yeah. makes them go out and try to find that issue so that it helps one it helps the sales and it just helps build a stronger world because if you're going to start reading thor then maybe you're going to start reading uh avengers you know if you're going to start reading avengers maybe you're going to start reading uh Iron Man. Iron Man, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of spreads, you know, it spreads the word. I know that's how I got into things. You know, the editorial notes made me look at other books. Other books made me look at other books. And it snowballed. And when I was, uh, you know, in college, I had a $60 a week comic book habit. Yes, it's true. I'm Brian Hughes. I'm a comic book collector. I admit it freely. (laughs) That's a lot. That's what, in the 80s? Is that when you're doing 75 75 cent books? The the mid-80s, yeah. Yeah, that's... So we're all enablers is what you're yeah. telling us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my parents were the biggest enablers because they were helping me with my rent. <laughs> you didn't tell them what you were spending it on. Well, I no, no, no. They, they would help me with my rent, but you know, I had to work too. Um, so I worked full time as, of all things, I worked as a bridal consultant at Dillard's. And um, that's a job where beautiful women come up to you every day and tell you they're getting married to somebody else. <laughs> but then their friends come to buy things for them and they're single. But... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, it, you know, so I had a, a steady income and, you know, as you are at that age, when you're in college, you, you may be working. If you're working, you have disposable income. You're going to have some. And I was fortunate in the fact that if I ever ran short on money, I could always buy, sell and trade comic books to uh, supplement my income. I mean, it helped me pay for, for tuition, you know, one semester and books another. Um, there you go. Yeah. I mean, comic books worked for me back then. And, you know, they can work for us now. <laughs> But uh, probably even better. I mean, a lot of the books that we've got in our collection are worth a lot more than they were back then. I was lucky. Yeah. We uh, <clears throat> we uh, when we went to uh, we went to uh, we were in Colorado uh, for Thanksgiving last year because we just didn't we just wanted to take a trip, so we drove up to uh, Colorado Springs. And one day I drove up to Denver because I realized, oh, there's Mile High Comics up there, and they have a warehouse open to the public. So I drove up there, spent about three hours going through the massive, massive warehouse every kind of comic in the world. It was pretty cool. A little pricey, but it was cool. Yeah. Now, is Mile High, did that used to be Lone Star Comics? No, Lone Star is still around in Texas. Um, I, I've, I've purchased from them a couple times online. Mile High has just been around the ads for them back in comics forever. They uh, supposedly had the biggest collection, and they had a huge warehouse where you couldn't go back. They just, that wasn't open to the public. Just go, but they had tons and tons of bins. And they had uh, figures and statues, just everything you think of. I mean, I, I, I found a few choice books, but I didn't have enough time to spend all day there. 
It's Disney World for the comic. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the reason I was thinking about it, I, I thought that, that Buddy Saunders, who ran Lone Star, had uh, morphed into an online presence of uh, Mile High. That's that's what No, I, I think it's it called like. My Comic Shop. Is uh, mm-hmm. That's Lone Star. Because I know, ah. I think they've still got some of the brick and mortar stores, but they took all of their back issues out and they were all online you couldn't you know the new the stores are just for new stuff and trades and things like that you couldn't dig through the uh you couldn't dig through the uh the boxes and find stuff yeah what it says here is that in 2013 they sold off three of the five remaining stores in mesquite hearst and plano and then in september of 2013 they sold off the remaining brick and mortar the original arlington location and the store in fort worth uh to solely become an e-commerce website okay so they don't have stores at all anymore okay no no, no brick and mortar. There's a nice one in Dallas called Titan Comic that still has a pretty good present of uh, pretty good back issues. But I found in Texas, I found it was hard to find. I never found quarter bins. I would find dollar bins or I would find fifty cent bins. But it was yeah. hard to find those. Um, the one in Austin, the kind I can't is it Austin Books has a nice uh, kind of a dollar that they've opened a, a store behind them or a space behind them. That all the all the comics or they're none of them are bagged and they're just stuff they want to get rid of. They're all like a dollar. But let's mm. talk about free comics since I yeah know yeah let's talk favorite. about you yeah know what, you don't you know what you don't need a 50 cent bin for x-men elsewhere that's right this is true <laughs> x-men elsewhere is the fan fiction comic book john burns been publishing on his site burnrobotics.com and we'll have links to uh everything you need to be able to find these uh on the page at two true freaks.com on our art freight page at two true freaks.com but uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to go ahead and jump right into this and start off with issue nine, which is uh, titled Reunion. And who wants to start us off? Who wants to lead us into this? I think people are tired of listening to my voice. Oh, come on. That's not possible. <laughs> well, I'm going to open my Mountain Dew yeah. and let you well, run away with it. <laughs> I, I'll lead us in. What a splash page. Man, the thing jumping in there and taking out the Sentinel. Uh that is a now, this great is way the to new, start. This is the new Sentinel, of course. The new style. Is that Mark IV that they called those? It's, they called them as mutant Sentinel hybrids or something. The shock on them. Yeah. And um, now just to re- remind everybody what happened. And, of course, in the last issues, um, at, at the very end of the issue, as the X-Men were fighting uh, the Sentinels and these new hybrid Sentinels had come in, the Fantastic Four showed up and the thing jumped in with an it's clobbering time. That was and, the end of the page. It was a, yeah, it was a, yeah, beautiful page of, of the Fantastic Four showing up, uh, Sue flying the flying bathtub and Reed Bed and Johnny all about, and just the, the perfect shots of the thing as he should be drawn. And then here we are. Sorry, I'm going to shut up now. Uh, why? <laughs> that's, a, well, that's a great sound effect, that thum. The way he's drawn it, you can tell it's because, uh, of course, it. I think I would think that they had invisible force field. Maybe um, I get the impression it's like him pounding on some kind of hollow or metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, with like, all those lines on the on the upper and lower portions of the letters, it gives great vibration right, effect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like Cyclops kind of hiding behind there, saying, "Oh, you know, he's responding to Ben's comment." But he says, <laughs> "They all do." Yeah. Just just barely peeking around the side. <laughs> Well, and I love the detail of the houses behind everything. Yeah. The houses it kind, are still it kind of looks like Cyclops is almost like, oh my gosh, that thing is going to fall on top. Yeah. <laughs> got to get out of the way. <laughs> he probably can't think that way because it is, the thing has kind of staggered it. What town are they in now? Uh, Annandale on Hudson. They're still in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Right. But I mean, just is... everything about Ben's image 
as he's running in there and and trying to punch that thing you know of course he's hitting the force field but the shadow on the bottom of his feet and under his arm and everything i mean this is just a, a labor of love in this one image right here a lot of details definitely only thing missing is this, is john burns signature down in the lower right hand corner <laughs> i've been trying to figure out if, if you look under ben's leg i see there, what is that i mean is it just scribble yeah I don't know. Yeah, it, it looks like a signature, but I don't think it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember in uh, X Men one thirty seven where he had that the number as part of the rebel of the rubble where it was the yeah. number of issues he'd drawn. Yeah. What was it one oh eight or something no, like that? It was the number of pages that he'd drawn. Oh, pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been kind of looking for some little things like that in some of his artwork, but I, I haven't found any yet. So those little Easter eggy things. But uh, I hope maybe he'll start doing that because that would be really cool. Yeah, you know, he used to draw Barney Rubble in, in, <laughs> in, the, in, rubble. in the rubble, but he won't do that anymore because so many people are looking for it. Um, well, that's why he likes drawing the thing, because the thing is nothing but a big pile of rubble. <laughs> yeah. Now going to well, the next page Yeah, um, comes a clue of something that's going on, because uh, the sentinel gestures, and the thing just goes flying back. And, of course, as he's flying back, he falls into bushes, steps out, and he's Ben Grimm, not the thing. Mm-hmm. And boy, his trunks are baggy. <laughs> <laughs> Not as baggy as they should be, but that's unstable molecules. You know, they're gonna remember. Yeah, unstable they're molecules. Conform. Yep, that's what they're doing. They're adjusting. <laughs> I've got a question about this robotic hand up in the top first panel. Mm-hmm. A couple of times you guys have uh, referenced on cover images when there's just a hand sticking out. Um, one was in the FF. I don't recall which issue it is, but I think it's the Wakanda Adventure. And then recently the uh, the Hulk. Annual number seven also has a large hand from a sentinel that's gesturing. Is that a repeating theme? Are they all supposed to be homages to each other, or is it just coincidence? I, I think it's coincidence. I mean, uh, you know, maybe he's got a preference of doing that kind of point of view. I think he likes to Which, do stuff kind of off camera. If you think about it, it's kind of somebody. So you're just seeing their hand, or you see a shadow, or you see a voice, and it's off camera, and that's just a dramatic. I think that's a, just a dramatic uh, technique, build tension, and you know, get you to buy the book. Okay. Plus, in this I, scene, it, it focuses the the attention to the effect of what's happening, uh, leading up to the effect, rather than who's doing the effect. You know. Well, I think um, what's interesting is is the the position of the hands itself makes gives a clue as to who's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's up a hand gesture. Otherwise, the, the effect looks a lot like the effect that Avalanche has. Yes. Is moving uh, Earth. So. Mm-hmm. And then in the lower left, you can actually see him transforming back into human just by the outlines of his of his hand. Oh, yeah. He's, he's getting Did that, you notice he's, that. He's getting his extra finger back. He's going yep. from three fingers to four. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't notice that in that the the middle bottom that you see his hand like grabbing out of the the uh, shrub. Oh, I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah. Is that the vision behind the sentinel in that panel? Looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. Vision looks like Beast and Cyclops. I need to look and see how this one appears ink and uh, colored. If Jeff Tolbert had done it, or if anybody else I, has, for that matter. I don't recall seeing it yet uh, posted as colored or inked. Yeah. Hmm. But. There we get the classic, the classic Ben Grimm look. Uh, short hair, military-looking guy, and he's shocked. Look at him! What? <laughs> yep. And then the next page, Johnny swoops in real quick to to save him. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, um, and the detail there is his his hands are not flamed on, that which is a right. classic thing that was always done so that he would protect whoever he was carrying. <laughs> um, but you still think so that, nice, that radiant heat would scorch whoever? I, don't, I know his hands well, are on fire, but... Yeah, <laughs> it's comics, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, And, and the, the torch can direct heat away um, as part of his powers, as I understand it. There you go. Now you can see in that first panel that that sentinel is gesturing at Johnny, too. And so in the second panel, Johnny's flame goes out. Yeah. Um, yep. Suddenly he's got asbestos air around him or something and douses flame. <laughs> well, what's then, fu- what, uh, right, go ahead. Go Mark. ahead. Well, I was no, going to no, go say, at the, okay, the bottom, you know, we get Johnny flames out. He, they both fall. And then Wonder Man comes out of the house that he fell through last <laughs> issue. And he's talking to Cap. And he says, you know, what's going on? You know, uh, my 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 jets went out. And then Iron Man, and also the previous issue, Iron Man's armor. Uh, yeah, guys, hold on just a second. Uh, a nice little detail here I didn't notice before. But as you see Wonder Man coming out of the house, it looks like it was Jim Shooter's house that got hit. Because no. the mailbox has got JS on it. No, that's US. That's US. That's US, US. Oh, US. Okay, okay. I, I was... Uh, <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> the, uh, the grid lines that he's got in there for his perspective uh, threw me off. But yeah, wishful thinking. <laughs> That would, I think he would. I think he was going to do that joke. He'd make it a little more obvious. He'd have yeah, somebody I'm, looking I'm, like Shooter running out of it or something. Yeah. I just thought he'd be subtle, you know. And uh, well, anyway, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I admit it. <laughs> well, if whoever inks it can change it. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. Look at all the perspective lines in that next panel in the fourth one. They all lead to Cap's star on his yeah. chest. That's pretty cool. I'd never seen that before. I, that's what works. That's what I love about these pencils because you really get to see kind of behind the scenes of how he sets up a page and how, you know, because the stuff you don't ever see once it's in color, they kind of see his brain work. Yeah, and it's really neat because it also shows you kind of what he is subtly bringing attention to, even though, you know, it's the star. It's, you know, even though Wonder Man is the larger image there, mm-hmm. uh, it's really Cap is Cap is the... The, focus. Um, the focus of the whole team really he's the leader and stuff so it's really cool yeah. and here we have there's been a lot of talk in some of my comic forums on facebook where i am and wonder man has been coming up a lot lately and it's like who's your favorite version of wonder man well this is my favorite version of wonder man strangely enough is the safari jacket actor i'm right uh, there with you companion to the beast you know part two you know the abbot to beast costello or whatever you know? <laughs> i love this so i'm glad to have him back well, it's better He's than one of awful... my all-time favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He just yeah. fell through the roof of this house, yet his sunglasses are still in place. That's pretty good. <laughs> yes. That is. That wow. is. He uses whatever same adhesive or technology that uh, Scarlet Witch's headdress is attached to her face with. It would be. Yeah, I know he probably doesn't need to eat, but it'd be really kind of comical if he's coming out of that house and he's got like you know a drink or a cup of coffee or a, a piece of bread, something he'd seen <laughs> that he'd grabbed on the way out. A was, yeah, yeah, something he was eating on the way out. But I need some. I need some energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great perspective here. Good stuff. And then a cutaway to New York, of yes. course, the Hellfire Club building. Uh, I love that that building. It's just so such a cool design. <laughs> Yeah, and on the inside, of course, you've got all those stasis tubes with all those people in them. And um, you can see, look, I can see the blob for sure, Franklin Richards. I'm assuming uh, the one on the end is, is that the toad? Oh, he names them all in order, left to right. Oh, Banshee, Mastermind, Blob, Eunice, you can't really see, and Franklin. Okay, yeah. 
I hate the helmet he's wearing. I mean, I love the tech, but I just you can imagine trying to wear that and your head bobbing from left to right because it's so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's better than that one that Trask wore that had the pipes coming off of it. It was even more cumbersome. <laughs> yeah. What do you think and of his... One... Oh, go ahead. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask about his idea of his uh, sentinel mutant fusions, is what he calls them. Uh, for the most part, they're really just protective uh, they're more like exoskeletons for whoever's inside. Yeah, he's controlling them, but they're it allows their powers to work, you know, throughout the um, throughout the uh, the suit. But for the, like, for instance, for Blob, one you'd have to have a you know a triple X for Blob. But <laughs> does he need a suit? I mean, if you can just mind, unless the suit is the mind control, because his yeah, power unconscious in there. Yeah, so if he just needs that, he could just put a helmet on the blob. He doesn't really need a suit to give him extra protection, I wouldn't think. Now, the rest, yes, uh, Banshee and, and uh, but uh, you know, uh, and certainly Franklin. <clears throat> but I just thought his, it was his, just do a more of a, a mind control helmet on him. And why call him a sentinel? Unless he just needs Well, to. I think that's, that's the thing that, you know, he can sit there and march these out in the public as robots right <clears throat> and yeah. and so the you know the the public doesn't know okay there's a mutant inside there yeah plus i think it's kind of a well and then he doesn't want the mutants he's chasing down to know that it's other people i think it's a little stealthy thing yeah but it's also kind of i think it's shaw shaw is really bizarre in the fact that and, and this is really clear in the story is i think it's his ironic his irony that I'm using sentinels filled with mutants to attack mutants and humans because he's the one that deprogrammed the human protection of it. So he's just like gleefully killing humans as well. So I think it's kind of the uh, <clears throat> the irony of a mutant and a sentinel being used to attack humans and mutants at the same time. Uh, I wonder yeah. if the helmet is driving his mania a bit more. And I, I'm thinking back to the old DC Comics Presents story that Len Wein did with uh, Mongol and Warworld, where he, Mongol put on the helmet for, to control Warworld. It just made his, um, um, you know, mania get larger and larger, and, and ultimately it, it almost killed him uh, mm. because it, you know, affected his brain so much, and it killed everybody that used it before. But that, that's what makes me think of here is that because uh, you know Shaw has always been calculated more than crazy and this what he's doing is, is at this point that's what crazy. i was going to say shaw's always been more behind the scenes and 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 working more quietly this seems manic but maybe your point brian maybe because he's kind of linked to to master mold maybe like in spider-man 2 and the way uh doc's uh, arms are kind of influencing him maybe master mold is somehow influencing or maybe this is just the way because i mean think about it how uh, how much have we before this? How much of Shaw had we seen? We saw him obviously in the lead up to the Dark Phoenix saga. Had we had we seen him before that? Was he ever in? No, he, no. that was his introduction. That's what I thought. So I we haven't we seen him on, have we? No, we see him in the shadows of uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Byrne and and Claremont created them specifically for that, and right. Byrne's the one that came up with the design for the the Hellfire Club and used you know modern celebrities at the time for that using Robert Shaw. Yeah, Quint I know he's Robert Shaw's Quint for them. But as, so, as Shaw. so maybe this is where he was going to go with him. If we if we barely really just seen Shaw and a handful, if that much. Well, yeah, because at the at the end of the near the end of the Dark Phoenix saga, as there as as. Senator Kelly and Shaw are leaving the Hellfire Club after Leland had been skewered by Wolverine. You know, Shaw mentions to him, sentinels, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got, yeah, Sentinels. And, and at the end of Days of Future Past, you see the image of Gyrich talking about Project Wide Awake. Yep. I call it Master Mold. 
You saved my life, Dr. Trask. How can I help you? I want a presidential order putting Sentinels in charge of controlling mutants. You'll have that order. Well, I think With the a new president. I think the some, and, and Byrne made a comment on his site uh, just this last week that you know uh, if if you follow the timeline, it actually would be Donald Trump calling for the Sentinels wow. at the end of Days of Future Past. Well, I think we're following s- the timeline from here. I'm right? Sorry. No, it's all right. We're we're reading this with thirty years of comics uh, to to kind of pull from. Not well, this 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 future stuff hadn't happened, so we kind of think we know Shaw now. But we have mm-hmm. to read this as if, no, we've only seen him in a couple issues. And this maybe this is what he was going to do. I mean, that's one way to kind of no prize it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like that image at the very bottom of the page. I, you know, oh. I could almost see this coming. But the subtlety of it just going click. <laughs> and Master Bolt saying scanning. <laughs> it's like, that- yes, I was there. It's like, yes. <laughs> that sound effect, the T-E-K of the eyes clicking into place there is my favorite sound effect in the entire issue. Yep. Just because exactly the what it what it means in the Sentinel scanning. You can almost hear Robocop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I reread it's... X-Men 59 kind of because that's what this is kind of uh, that storyline that the Larry Trask mm-hmm. storyline kind of leading up to this is very similar to that. But um, I got some questions about Shaw as we get back to, when we get come back to Shaw after he throws um, Guy Ritchie kind of tosses him aside. And Guy Ritchie's like, holy cow, you're a mutant. And um, yeah. well, uh, what's he doing to him when he throws him aside? What is Shaw's power set? He can affect gravity. No, so, no, he Shaw's, has Shaw's power. Shaw's power is to absorb kinetic energy. I mean, that's the way it was represented in the books, yeah. and that's and, what Ohatma um, um, told him. And turn yeah. it back on. In, in the form of force. So, like, if like Colossus could punch him, kick him, and he would his strength would increase by that much, so he'd be as strong as Colossus and could do it back. Now it fades quicker. I mean, it fades. You know, whereas Colossus' strength doesn't fade. Uh, as he uses it, but he can absorb it. He spends the morning just punching the walls to build up his own strength. That's what Ohatmu would tell us. And here, um, Gyrich, um forcefully pushed him out of the way. You can see his hand up there on his shoulder. So that gave Shaw a little boost there to, you know what? This is it. <laughs> well, yeah, that... there there is something <clears throat> that's supposed to have happened here that we don't see. And, yeah, and, and I've got a problem and, with that because I, I will talk about it yeah, when we come back to it. But Okay, good. And we're back but, to uh, uh, we come back to uh, and I love this sh- next page is shot of the chopper. The angle. Is it nearly upside down? <clears throat> I'm trying to figure that out. Is the chopper nearly upside down? No, I think it's kind it's of on banking. Its it's on its side. Yeah, it's banking. It's banking. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at it from a, a different, an, a, an unusual angle, which is very trade. Very dramatic angle. And if you look down at the bottom right hand corner of that image, you can see a predator mask hiding in the. Uh, the clouds are smoke. <laughs> a little bit. That's. I just see that. That's all. That's. Uh, I yeah. saw Predator was on last night, so I couldn't help myself. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we just. Yeah. You know, we're back to a, a kind of a war zone. Uh, and Cyborg uh, drops I, down the. Yeah, it's a total action page. Here. I mean, boom, 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 and then Cyclops is like, okay, now I, now you see his little T E K. He should have had a tech sound effect <laughs> above Cyclops there, or, or a light bulb. Well, it's I funny. Got it. Because the page next to that, where he kind of comes to, you know, like, oh, it's the only answer. 
you actually see the Sentinel using the concentric rings of Havoc. I mean, that's, uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a clue right there that that's Havoc inside that. Um, oh, that's yeah. such an amazing panel, that, that second panel. Because, I, I mean, it shows how many X-Men do we see, or how many characters do we see in there. And I, I'm going to draw attention to one thing that, that always amazes me about Byrne is that Captain America's shield. The size of the shield is always proportionally correct. And not every artist can do that. And we know, unfortunately, Rob Liefeld can't. Uh, well, he has but, trouble with but, feet. Come on. Yeah, but he, he has trouble keeping Captain America's shield the, the right size. And Byrne always makes sure it's proportionally correct for the distance that it is at from the reader. So, uh, you know, just it's, think about that. Now, Cap threw the shield and it bounced off the Sentinel and it didn't come back to Cap. So, hmm. Unless it's going to bounce off the ground and then fall into his hands. I don't know. Well, Cap was throwing it thinking he was going to hit metal, but it was hitting a force field, so that threw off his calculation, so it didn't come exactly back to him. Or it's going to hit the ground and bounce back to him. You got yeah. no prizes in the mail. Or he'll right. just pick it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, the only thing about this page I really wish, I would rather see that battle scene, the giant focal panel, the, yes. rather than a... Than a very okay. cool, very cool perspective of the helicopter. But this battle scene really deserves the half page spread or full page would have been really awesome. But yeah, yeah that's uh, that's almost like one of his commission right there. Yeah, it, yeah. But uh, and then of course you know Cyclops running up to Sue Storm, and I like how how he's so polite, Mrs. Richards. I would have thought that Cyclops would have tumbled to this sooner. I mean. Obviously, for dramatic purposes, this has been stretched over, what, three issues or so for Cyclops to get yeah, the idea and then confirm it. And then, you that know. three issues is not even five minutes. Right, right. In, 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 in real time. So, I mean, you know, he's, yeah, he's putting it all together, but he's got to do so much, you know, for us, the reader. But, uh, yeah, it's the, the passage of time is it can be a little wonky in that and make you wonder about it, for sure. It, it, it did seem stretched out, and a lot of people noticed and commented on that. Uh, on, on on Burns' website. And I like the bottom panel where he's like, there's something you have to do. And she's like, what is it? Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> that's <laughs> <Hello? right>. that's <laughs> a that's very my mom interpretation. Pose. <laughs> it might not be. It might be a very helpful, oh, yeah, sure, I'm there. You know, But to me, it's just like, really, dude? You can't see I'm busy here? <laughs> well, she's not used not- to getting orders from anybody except for Reed, you know, her <laughs> own team. So somebody else trying to intercede, I could understand where she, you know, yeah, I mean, actually, I think when someone that's strong in a leadership position comes to her with that kind of tone, whether it's, you know, Reed, Cyclops, Captain America or others, you know, she's going to respond to that, you know, properly, which she does here. Um, and, and you know, this next page, of course, is a, is a really good example of that. And yet you can see, I love in the first panel, you see Iron Man and Colossus in the background fighting against the Havoc yeah. or uh, what, what's going on there with the Havoc Sentinel. And then in the second panel, she, of course, turns Cyclops and her invisible. And he's mildly freaking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you should. Yeah. yeah. And now her image, for some reason, makes me think of Art Adams. And I think it's the way her legs and torso are positioned. But it's that's probably, just me. It's probably the thin lines. Art Adams loves to do yeah. a lot of thin line and details. Yeah, and this form of invisibility is a little different from the way Byrne used to draw it. It's better than but, the dotted lines. Yeah. Originally, it was all just a dotted line and a, like a very pale blue overlay. So, yeah. Yeah, Cyclops definitely has to recognize his brother's power, even though they won't see the concentric circles, but the effect or the sound or whatever, he would recognize I would think it. So, yeah. Yeah. But so here gotta, we go. 
Go ahead. Our big, re- our big reveal, we get Nightcrawler. Well, uh, of course, and he was, I was right. He's very, very justified. And hey, I was right. Yeah. And Wolverine, <laughs> of course, calling out to Crawler. I, I can hear that voice in my head. <clears throat> I just can't tell you whose voice that is. Yeah. Okay, Cyclops, tear his arms off. It's safe now. We can <laughs> yeah. see he's only we into the say. shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then uh, on the next page, they reveal the others as Cyclops barks all of them. And she shows Havoc and Polaris and Scarlet Witch. And then, of course, the, um, the Scarlet Witch Sentinel turns and attacks Sue and opens up the earth underneath her. But fortunately, Mr. Fantastic was able to save her. Because he was smart enough to realize that that sinkhole had to mean that his wife was there, even though she was invisible. Mm-hmm. Now, that, and that, go ahead. No, I just say this page uh, almost looks inked. I don't know if it's the way it was scanned. The the, yeah, the pencils the look much darker, but this looks almost ready to color as it is. It looks great. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. You know, even Burns made a comment within the last few days that he's noticed how tight his pencils have become even though he you know never intended for these pages to be inked and uh i mean I, i'm just enjoying it myself i don't think yeah. you get i love yeah. that i was just saying i love the last panel because it really looks like that sentinel it, while its mouth isn't open wide you can tell it's yelling mm-hmm. yeah and then before we leave the page i really love the top details that he put into the the when he revealed the faces of the faces the, those that's just that's gorgeous there that is really a beautiful set of panels there and and it takes us really back to the original uh, master mold story back in 5960 or 5859 that story it's really nice i love it and you yeah, can but you know work. if you took if you took all the wires off of them and just left those uh, the other things behind they could all be holograms on red dwarf <laughs> Okay, I'm going to shut up. Now. <laughs> I never well, got into it. <laughs> this shows just how Brian's point of tight pencils. You can see that he there's not a lot of like sketchy lines around it. It's like he knew exactly. And I don't know if he does. I know some artists will do like a, a quick breakdown to kind of see how to lay the panel out. Then they'll do their more detailed. But there's not a lot of stray lines. It's like he knew exactly. Of course, he's been doing it for 40 years, so he knows, yeah. should know what he's doing. But there's not a lot of um, kind of feeling out where to put your lines. Yeah, it looked um, like on, on Sue Storm's hand, he redid it. Um, it may have adjusted that a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, you can see it, an erased, it uh, looks like a finger there. But, but yeah. yeah, yeah. beyond that, everything else seems to be, yeah, it's there for the reason it's there. Yeah, everything is... And then just to, just to show this is a Bronze Age era story that when Reed catches Sue, you know, nicely done, darling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just those, in the midst of a battle, life and death situation, I, you know, it's those little things that from when those books back then were just <laughs> still, they're, they're, well, they, they're nice. Yeah, that's what I loved about it because they felt like they had to kind of explain everything to the audience. So there was so much exposition that you normally wouldn't have that much dialogue and talking during yeah. <laughs> during a life and death struggle. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now we're getting comics. Get, ah, now, now we're going to get to the... Oh, sorry, John. I was going to say, now we're getting to the... Uh, <laughs> Shaw gets his. Here. Yeah, and oh, I, have yeah. A, I have a problem with this because maybe I'm... Because uh, to my point, I knew that he if he converts kinetic energy, I would think being squeezed would just convert energy to him and he would become more powerful and the Sentinel would not... And Master Mold would not be able to kill him. Well, we, we've known in the past that you know, when, like, when Colossus kicked Shaw, it hurt him. You heard him, uh, you know, shriek out in pain. And then he bounced back with the power. So it looks like there's some kind of delay 
and what happens here of course what happens here is is got two two uh uh reasons behind it number one now if, if you're well, looking before you go on shaw yeah. is not he's not invulnerable i mean he's still right has bones and flesh so even though he's absorbs kinetic energy um his bones his body is still it just depends on how fast you get it so sorry brian go ahead no no but i think you know again it's up for interpretation and and whether or not he is invulnerable to all forms of uh, of pressure and and force it, it, it what it says here is he's not this the the master mold reaches down grabs him crushes him and it, i love the the the, the, the description here it says the sound is disturbing like a watermelon dropped from a great height i did not come here tonight to make you laugh i came here to sell you something i want you to pay particular attention because the amazing master tool corporation a subsidiary of fly by night industries has entrusted me to show you the handiest and the dandiest kitchen tool you've ever seen and don't you want to know how it works students of irony may appreciate the situation sebastian shaw's dreams of conquest die with him victims of the very forces he set in motion and if y'all don't catch the uh, the other in joke here, blood comes you know coming out of his mouth just like Quint in Jaws. As he's being bitten half by the shark. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. No, I didn't catch it. Yeah, I didn't catch it. But I, I wonder I'm, if that is blood. I mean, that's pretty for a book of this era. That's pretty. It's a little. But I think that's gross. a little bit of a dramatic. A graphic. He's able to put into it because yeah, he can do no whatever he wants. Enforcement anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's similar to. Has anybody ever seen the movie Conga? It's a Kinda? British. It's a British Hammer. Yeah. I think it's Hammer or it's Amicus. It's from the sixties. It's uh. Uh, it's Alfred from the Batman. Uh, um, I can't think of his, the actor's name. Michael, so, Michael Go or Michael Caine? Michael, no, not not Michael Caine. It's uh, Michael Gow or Go or how okay, you pronounce okay. his place. Yeah. He experiments on making things larger and he starts with a monkey and he makes it into a chimp and he makes it into a gorilla and he uses it to go and kill people. And then at the end, it becomes Kong size. And at one point, he grabs him like this because it's no longer obeying his commands and it kind of squeezes it. It's very, that, that's mm-hmm. what that's impression I get. Yeah. I'm kind of sorry to see Shaw go. I mean, clearly, Byrne is saying that he died and that's, yeah. that's a turning point in the story, but nobody ever dies in comics. No. I don't know how back. he's going to survive this, <laughs> but. You know, he's too good a character. He's, you know, the Norman Osborn behind the scene of Spider-Man. Well, he's, you know, Shaw's you know, a major villain as far as I'm concerned for the X-Men series. And I hate to see him go out so simply. Yeah. You know, and of course, there's one other thing that we hadn't talked about is that, you know, other Sentinels, when they go on the attack, and this is Master Mold, other Sentinels, when they go on the attack, have methods of taking out virtually every mutant, you know, programmed into them. They they basically say, oh, I've detected such and such, you know, compensating to, you know, terminate. Right. And they do whatever they do. And so obviously this, this Sentinel should have in it the programming to be able to figure out how to terminate Shaw. So, you know, there may be more into what it does than just squeezing him to death. Hmm. Well, the, the writer after this would, you know, years down the road would come back and say, well, it just put him in. 20 a, minutes later, uh, Shaw's power kicks he, in and saves him. Or he was into a coma. <laughs> he wasn't dead. And he, he was able to to slowly build his strength back up. And he'll show up 
you know, 50, 50 issues later going, you know, mm-hmm. haha, I'm not dead, but or better. Yeah. He'll wake up and he's inside one of those Mark four Sentinels. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. I love the, the, the expression on the Sentinel's face as he's turned away from Shaw. Yeah. It's anger, you know? I mean, that's what it looks like to me. It definitely evokes some emotion there, like satisfied, anger, you know, I've been tricked. <laughs> and yet the, the the description on the next panel says, it's cold, computerized mind turns northwards to the mechanical gash in the side of a towering cliff. And this is where we start seeing all the old uh, uh, machinations from the, the Trask days. Yeah. And I had a question about that. So these are the Larry Trask... Uh, Sentinels from uh, issue what fifty seven fifty nine that that we recently yeah. talked about. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that base was in Colorado, correct? Uh, it says no, northward. That was in the Savage so, Lane. Wasn't no, it, it in says the it, lane? no. It says that now, now they're in New York in Manhattan, and it says the cold computerized mind turns northward. I know he didn't. So it, it's. <clears throat> And he does lay so say, is, sorry, yeah. keep stepping on you. No, I mean, but it just says that, you know, the 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 mountain base where that is, is somewhere north of New York. That's what I thought, because it says later upper state New York where the rest of the Sentinels are coming from. But I thought when oh I was reading. Oh my gosh, are these Canadian Sentinels? <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> They're not polite enough to be Canadians. Um, he'd be apologizing you see the for num- killing. You see the numbering on the cells, too? Yeah. 130, 131, 132, and then on the next page, 25, 26, 27. Those are issue numbers for the X-Men. I mean, that's a yeah, stretch, yeah, it, but yeah, that's no, probably it, what it I mean, is. And that's funny, because 132 is the first issue of the X-Men I ever read. The, and that was the first one introducing, I mean, giving us the, the Hellfire Club and all their glory. Yeah, I don't think it's I by mean, accident. It was, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, but uh, yeah, the, the Sentinels all get their orders and they take off. And you see that, that beautiful panel at the bottom where multiple Sentinels are flying away from the base. But I'll point your attention in the next panel on the top of the next page, uh, page 10. One Sentinel breaks off from the group. The rest apparently are heading towards, you know, Manhattan. On well, that one is we we know where that one's going. Where's it going? Is that the one that's going after Jean Grey? Yeah. Could be. Could be. Okay. And so um, next we see back at uh, Annadale on Hudson. Reed is working some more burn tech. He's teching the tech. Yep. And uh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Reed uh, is able to break down the connection between these Sentinels and the Master Mold, and so all the Sentinels just fall down. And all their powers shut off, so the thing starts to revert back. Yeah, and I like it's the uh, you see all stages of the thing in uh, in his transformation process from the orange orange skin, the orange peel style from when he was first introduced to his hand there getting more rocky. Yeah, I'm glad well, he yeah. didn't belabor the the whole. Oh, but I don't want to. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't go down that road. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm still just marveling, no pun intended, at the second panel. Because you see Cyclops and, and everybody fighting in there, and the vision coming up behind Sue and them. I mean, that just the detail in that panel. Once again, we're getting these panels, and these are the ones we want to see. <laughs> but guess what? That, that's coming soon. Right. Yeah. And the yeah. next page, of course, the thing gets his payback. And Cyclops is like, no, no, stop! And, and shoots the thing in the back. And makes use of that one sound effect that that always makes me think of the Marvel fanfare issue where they kill Hammer and Anvil. Spack or the platoon. Spack. No, the spack because when um, Scourge shoots uh, Hammer, he shoots him in the head. And the description in the panel is really, really gross. 
So when I hear spack, I think of somebody's head exploding <laughs> like a watermelon. <laughs> like Shaw. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So this is... Iron course, Man looks a little chunky. He does look a little bloated, didn't he? Yeah. Of course, it wouldn't be a Marvel book if, if the heroes didn't have some kind of uh, breakdown of communication and misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got to see the heroes fighting against each other. And, and you have to see Mr. Fantastic restrain the thing once every 10 issues. So <laughs> Once every issue. I mean, that's well, that was the go-to in the first, those early Kirby one. He was always having to wrap up uh, Ben yeah. because, you know, Ben was so hot-headed. Right from you know, the very first issue. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, the those Fantastic Four movies that Tim Story did um, 10 years ago or so, you know, didn't have a lot of great stuff in it. There was a couple images they did that really did evoke Burns' work. One of them was the scene where Mr. Fantastic was tying up the thing like this. It looked like something Byrne would, would have done, or even Kirby, for that matter. So they, they, they got a few things right in those movies. That was it. But then Michael Chiklis, I think, also was uh, one of the few things they did right in, them, in those movies. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next page. I was more concerned about property damage. There's so much of that yeah. in these issues. Because <laughs> Storm's just going to... Well, they're gonna, in the neighborhood. Uh, I'm going to make it rain. And she's like, no, 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 don't do that. Did anybody else, at least that's what I thought. I mean, this is just a... Burn is really kind of going out of his way to like, oh, this is the kind of stuff Sue can do that I explored later when I was on the book. So right, the flying right. and this thing. Doesn't she wonder about if she's covering these houses to cause the fire to go out? What if there's people still around or in the houses? Wouldn't they suffocate? She should be able to do it quick enough that they wouldn't. Uh, they shouldn't so. be. They might have a few house. seconds where they might not be able to, <laughs> to breathe so much. But yeah, mm. better to... Uh, have a few seconds without oxygen and burn to death so or, or die of smoke inhalation and that's still a possibility in all, in all this i love the the look on the vision's face in the bottom panel yeah uh i love the the, the image of storm there on the top panel that i'd love to have that as a poster just her doing that the it's really nice making the rain come right off her hands yeah so nice yep. stuff was she going to sit there and, like, create a, a water jet from her hand? Is that um, what she was going to She can control the stuff, so she probably would have brought little rainstorms over each house. Because remember how That's she what I was, plants I would in have her thought, yeah. You know? Yeah, but this is taking a little bit of dramatic license with her powers, I think. Yeah. You know, again, I always, I always had issue with Storm unleashing a lightning bolt from herself to someone else. I could see her calling one from the sky down on someone, but I never could see her just doing one... You know, just like straight to someone is shooting them. Yeah, her power's always been a little vague as to how uh, it's almost like it's up to the writer or the artist how they portray it. It's vague as to fits whatever the story needs it to fit. Right, because yeah, remember yeah. when she was battling on the moon? Basically, she would be useless because there's no weather on the moon that we know of. <laughs> and, uh, yet she was able to fly and create rain and stuff like that. So yeah, there's little depends on what's needed for the story. So next, next. So page. the vision opens it up, and we go to the next page, and we get to see some really, really cool stuff here. Uh, my favorite is, of course, Beast with his glasses on. I yeah, yeah. I, where I, did I those glasses man. come from? The panel before they're not there. It's his outfit. It's got unstable molecules. It's got a pocket in it. In his blue fur. Right. Okay. He's got trunks on. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, you don't think when he sat down on the counter in 135 that he was sitting buck naked there, was he? Not going there. That's <laughs> not going there. He's got That's those... Why not beast? He's got those magnetic glasses that kind of hang down and he kind of snap together when he wants them. Yeah. They're unstable molecule glasses. I like the plot point he's talking Hank, is it permanent? It's pretty clear that's going to be a continuing storyline that Bird's sowing <clears throat> that seed right now. Yeah, whatever the catatonic state they're in. And, and I do love this beast. I mean, 
it's great to have him. He's got the intellectual Hank McCoy stuff, but he's also the happy-go-lucky kind of having bouncing around type of stuff. And uh, and it's the Beast with kind of the Hank face, not the kitty cat yeah. version that came later under oh, uh, Grant Morris. Second, secondary me crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's like I love the and the thing is I didn't notice it until right now. The bottom panel with all the characters laying there. And you can see Nightcrawler and Lorna and and, and I guess that's Alex, Alex. or that sh- yeah with their, their faces and it's really really excellent detail and shading on there though the proportion is because you're not sure of the distance I'm assuming they're all side by side and they haven't cut off their heads and put them one on top of the other like <laughs> <I think> so <laughs> but I like I, they're yeah. just laying next to each other I like the Kurt's point that as a as a continuing story point of them either being in a coma or they're going to be recuperating for several issues so that i mean granted havoc and uh, lorna are not part of the the main team but kurt is um would that mean kitty would have to step up more while they're kind of convalescing that she would step up and have more active role as part of the team is new or would they bring in uh somebody else i mean it's interesting that you know because one team's kind of sidelined would you have to kind of have a temporary team come in uh to do a couple issues until Either they're dealing with this is almost the same thing they're dealing with Gene. Is it permanent? You know, are they going to have any side effects? You know, are they going to have lost their powers? Or that you know, how long is this going to last? That's well, we're coming, we're coming to you know an end of a storyline, and we're, you're going to see you know ramifications of these things here soon. But you know, the thing is, is once the storyline itself actually comes to that end. He can have a period of weeks or months go by before he starts his next storyline. You just True. don't know. True. And mm-hmm. so we'll we'll see how he handles that. But I got a feeling they'll be up and around a lot quicker than um, than you would imagine. Um, I, I, I'm going to point out that the, like the bottom panel is one of the the great detailed panels that we get. And for some reason, the the image in the bottom panel of Wolverine that kind of actually evokes Hugh Jackman a little bit to me. Yep. Yeah, as as Wolverine. Yeah, but yeah, these are some of my favorite pages in this. This one and like the next one here, because you've got that great Wonder Man moment. Moment, which if you go back to late seventies, early eighties, they didn't talk about this with him. Uh, not until Byrne was actually doing West Coast Avengers. Right. Yep. But the fact that Simon's in love with Wanda and Captain America knows right away, you know what's going on there. But, uh, I mean, just that page is beautiful in, in its simplicity because it doesn't have a great level of detail on it or a whole lot of backgrounds and such. But uh, Wonder Man flying off the way he does, you can see that he's very upset. Yeah. And again, but the detail uh, caps shadow or reflection in Simon's glasses. Yeah, it's kind yes. of distorted to one side. I like it, but it, that's not what, what it would look like. It's turned at least 90 uh, degrees to one I side. Didn't, I yeah. didn't notice that. I like the detail, but I, yeah, you're right, Kurt. It's a little different. It's just the A to show that that's supposed to be his uh, his reflection. Yeah. So which is quicker, yeah. the uh, the Fantastic Car or the Quinjet, which can fly faster? I would yeah, think the Fantastic <laughs> Car would not be very fast. No. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll draw attention to this. You know, I was talking about on page 14 just how there wasn't a whole lot of background or detail. But as soon as you go to page 15. It's all over. Boom, it is all over the place. That's awesome. But just the level of detail, even Wolverine's back and the level of detail there as as they're flying into the Hellfire Club. Okay, I guess the X-Men went in the Blackbird. So we've got the Blackbird, the Quinjet, the Bathtub... And then Simon and Iron Man are flying on their own power. Was it the Blackbird or was it the Stratojet? 
I mean, not, uh, not the strategy, but the Sentinel. It looks like the bl- in the neck where he's crashing out of the oh. Hellfire Club. That looks like the Blackbird. Oh, yeah, says, yeah, yeah. It looks like is. we yep. spoke too soon. Yep, yep. you're Be- right. Before we get going, uh, here, here's the um, Fantastic Car flying o- along. A flying yeah. bathtub. I love it. <laughs> the flying bathtub. If they make another movie, they're going to have to put in a real flying bathtub like this. I mean, they I had to. They didn't. They, 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 that was one opportunity they missed in the other movies. All two and 0.2% of them. Because that third movie was not a full movie. But <laughs> yeah, oh, Tim and that, I jumped on that sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a great, great center panel there. I mean, I, wish, the, I almost wish that I was wish, a splash page. Yeah. And. and as much as I like the scratch, I mean, I don't like where it is. It's like right in the middle of a, this beautiful panel. It's like I think it's the way beautiful he building. Is, the way he is placing the sound effects on the pages is distracting. We've yeah. we've noticed that going all the way back to that ish, uh, um, image of the thing a uh, couple issues back, where it was over his arm. Yeah, and um, it's. Whatever he's using to place those sound effects is is yeah. There's something not right there. Yeah, I just I don't know. And so Master Mold must have increased size for him to be able to like explode out of the building like this because before he was just like hanging out in the basement with uh, Shaw and Guyrich, and now you know he's three stories tall. Well, so as I don't Kurt know if, tell- he's, if he's that big. How did they assemble the pieces inside <laughs> that Hellfire Club without anybody noticing and exactly. without removing any of the walls of this Victorian mansion? Right. So I'm sorry well, to see I mean, that building get crashed. But Kirk, is you you just read Hulk Annual Seven, right? Yes. Yes. And and you saw the Master Mold go from human size to yep. giant size, so he's able to to change his size as needed. Okay. Right. I have a question about that, but we'll talk about it another day. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but that that bottom panel, the Avengers, you know, and the X Men coming in. That's I would love to have that as as like a, a commission or something. With definitely between the Sentinels' legs like that, cross between comic books and James Bond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now what's the uh, T for? What's that letter T there? Oh, Trask. Where on the back of, on the back of the Sentinels' oh, leg? Oh, okay. I had noticed that before, but I noticed that now. It's like, oh yeah, it'd be Trask. Trask might copy, be a design copy. element. Trask copyrighted him, and you had to have that in every Sentinel. Yeah. <laughs> Good advertising. Uh, that's my trademark. <laughs> like a, it's like a ski boot. <laughs> Typically, you'll have a, a lever on the back of the ski boot that you can throw or pull uh, to yeah. tighten it or loosen it in about that location. Oh, yeah. So you think when Master Mode gets home, he puts his feet up, he takes his boots off. I mean, is that, does he have a little <laughs> mechanical foot under there? Cracks open yeah. a can of motor oil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Whatever the plot calls for, guys. Has, has some computer <laughs> chips. Um, and this is yeah, another... Funny. And, well, this, oh, Mr. Like, Fantastic this, coming in here kind of looks like the Thin Man <laughs> more than than his normal does, Mr. Yeah. Fantastic self. <laughs> but that's, it kind of denotes speed, yeah. the way he's doing that. And then, yeah, with everybody else coming in, he's just he's just trying to keep up. Yeah. Well, his Beautiful. he's always drawn that his upper body is always getting there first, and then he's to wait for his legs to kind of stretch and pop back into place. On the next page, where we see that where Susan is going to go after Franklin, and we have more of her. Well, I'm going to try this. I've never done this before. Had no one used her power in this way before Byrne took over the FF? Right. It kind of Mary sued her a little bit in the storyline, didn't it? Mm-hmm. How do you mean? Uh, I mean, she's got something to you know be able to do for anything, stuff she'd never been able to do before. And then all of a sudden, she's super capable. 
I mean, it, it could be the natural progression of seeing the invisible girl turning to the invisible woman, which would be happening after this uh, time period. But, I mean, up to this point, it never occurred to her. And all of a sudden, she can do all these things. But it's like Rey in, in uh, the Star Wars sequels. You know, she didn't know that she had the forcing it instinctively. She knew how to do all the things that she was able to do. Well, it's interesting in, in the, the books I read last night, which were 56 through 59, that's the uh, the the living Pharaoh kind of storyline leads into the new Sentinel one. And there's a shot where they're falling. It's Beast and Cyclops and uh, Marvel Girl are falling. And Cyclops tells her to kind of do something similar to this. It, you know, let the Beast, yeah. he kind of creates a telekinetic cushion for him when he hits and then they kind of slide down. It looks like kind of like telekinetic, kind of a pole or something to slow yeah. their descent. So that's it's it had already kind of been done, just not with a force field. Right. Yeah, and she's she's kind of used her force field as a cushion to catch people, like like a big air cushion. She's used that, I think, in some issues before this. So she's it, it kind of shows that she's experimenting with things, and and also, like you said, bridging the gap between this period of time and then when he took over, he took over. and really developed her, a lot of her her stuff. To yeah, make her more and, and again, she's sitting there thinking to herself, "Okay, I haven't tried this in the field yet," and yeah. that's like saying, "Okay, I've done it in the lab." Reed and I have worked on this before. Yeah, is what yeah. is what that's telling me. So you know this, it, and while it's you know something she hasn't done before that we've seen, that's something they've actually been working on. And when you know he starts writing in two thirty two, Fantastic Four two thirty two, you know the the thing is Sue's careful to to think about the fact that you know Reed and I have been talking about this as well. And so you know it's just a, an extension of that bit of storytelling. And you know I can I can let it go at that. Yeah. Now, Shaw without his glass, not Shaw, but um, Guyers without his glass looks completely different. Yeah, he looks like that that jerk that was on um, the shield carrier in the She-Hulk graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's taking over by the cockroaches. He looks a little. He looks a little like uh, uh, Sam Guthrie. He yeah. does. Yes, he does yeah, look like yeah. Sam. Yeah. I was gonna say uh, I'm blanking on his name. The the Green Lantern, uh, the jerk Green Lantern. Oh, Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner. Yeah, Guy Gardner. I think it's a so buzz. Did haircut. you read this? That uh, did you read this? That Guy Rich is dead. That he's dying in her arms. I think it's um, ambiguous. You no. can decide either way, but no, no, because he's he's sitting there and he goes, he goes, I can barely able to raise my head. Shaw, he's a mutant too. He sapped all my energy, and that's the thing that raised a lot of questions with a lot of people. But that also means that he's going to recover. He wasn't beaten or, or you know, doesn't look like he was broken or anything. He's, he's just very, very weak. Do you mean, uh, Kirk, are you meaning like the next panel that shows the shadow of the, the person? Because I think she's that's Shaw. That's, that's, yeah. that's the Yeah, she sees Shaw and that he's dead. That's the pulp yeah. that was Shaw? Yes. Yeah. He's dead and so much blood. And then, yeah. but where's Franklin? And, you know, that beautiful shot of her. That's a great. Seeing Franklin. Yeah. With the eyes. That is a great shot. Yeah. The thing about uh, big, great shots like this, and then like the one where they, they had, it showed them all laid out, all of the uh, Nightcrawler and Lorna and Alex laid out on that bottom panel a few pages back, is you can see how much of it is off what would have been actually put into the book. You can see those square off where the, the, the actual panel would truly end. And he's drawing, he's bleeding over into the, uh, the, the gutters. Yeah. So it's great that we're getting it this way because they would have to either shrink that down in, in order to get that full effect or we're just going to end up losing, losing most of that beautiful shot. He's getting into the blade so you'd lose some of that. 
Yep. So yep. it's nice. It's nice to have this because that is a great shot. And then switch scenes again. Man, he's master at switching scenes. And like I think you mentioned in the last episode, like he's just creating every page a cliffhanger of mm -hmm. sorts. That's his intention. Yep. And uh, but this page, of course, you see Colossus uh, pushing against the Sentinel, complaining it's taking too long, and the Sentinel does some sort of beam on Colossus, and he actually screams out. And there'll be consequences to this later, so keep that in mind. But the middle panel there of the Sentinel looks so Kirby to me. From going even back to the some of the, it makes me think of the first appearances of the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. Oh man! And of well, course, this is, is this Master Mold? Yeah, that's Master a... Mold right there. Okay. Yeah, that's Master Mold. And then, you know, Reed, of course, says uh, he, you know, that, that uh, since the Master Mold is the center of the Sentinel's power, he may know how to how to fight them. And uh, Iron Man's going to help. But then the other Sentinels, the Trask Sentinels at this point, come flying in. And then, of course, the next page takes Wait, us elsewhere. Cut back, cut back, yeah. If you hadn't forgotten, we were talking kind of about Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And here's the bug ship of the Shi'ar, which... On the outside, it looks like a giant bug, but on the inside, it's got the bridge of the Enterprise. I, I noticed that, too. It's kind of cool. Well, Dave Cochran was the first one to do this uh, in, in, in the early issues when, when he introduced the Shi'ar. The, the Starship bridge looked just like Star Trek. Even the outfits uh, reminded yeah. me of, like, Kirk's wraparound uh, on the captain. And so, uh, but yeah, so the Shire Starship comes up against one of the beautiful, beautiful images of the Phoenix. I think Jeff did color this page, like the time it came out, and then one of the others was it Paul, the uh, guys, yeah, yeah, he, uh, they both took turns at coloring this, and man, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was really beautiful. <laughs> I could see this is a page that might jump out to somebody. Like if I'm gonna ink something or color something, this is the one I want. That and yeah. the very that this and the very last page. Would yeah, wow. all the the Kirby crackle and energy that's that's roiling around there, and and. Those interesting lines down at the bottom, it looks like he may have done the, the paper towel trick or an eraser trick <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to do that. But, man, that's just so amazing. Yeah. And you know this is not going to end well for these guys. No, next page. And, and I told this to Jeff after he colored it. I said, um, Jeff, you need to color all of their uh, uniforms red. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. It was hilarious. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> That's great. Oh, wow. But they actually see that the Imperial Palace has been pretty much obliterated by the uh, massive surge of energy. And then, of course, they um, get the no notification from somebody. Uh, you should have stayed in deepest space. And at that point, and, and a, wave, a wave upon wave of pure hatred burns through the souls of each of the 318 aboard the ship. But it's interesting. He the the entity calls the the captain by name. By name. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that they're well. We know who it is. But, right. Um, but it's the the merging of the two. It's just like wow. Yeah. Okay. And then the, so I have a question here. Okay. Go back one page and we mm. see the phoenix effect. It can't right. be, but it is. Okay. So then we turn to the next page and he says the phoenix. It's gone. But I'm reading massive surges of energy. And then at the bottom right, we have the Phoenix again. So it's gone, but it's still here. And then the last page, it's still there. It's like, I don't understand what was going on here. Why did he say the Phoenix is gone? It's the, not the gone. image it was right the, there. The, the Phoenix effect, you know, it, it's flame. 
you know, the flame of the bird and then it just goes away. Okay, well, that's gone. But that doesn't mean that she's left. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then she reasserts herself and, of course, demonstrates by that incredible last page. And I can only assume, because it looks like the spaceship itself is crumbling and falling in front of her, that she is an incredibly giant That's what I was form. thinking. She's, yeah, like yeah. like kind of uh, miles high. Uh-huh. Yeah, because as you look beneath you, you can see what seems to be the curvature of the planet. That's what I was thinking, yeah. It's just like he's standing yeah. on what's left of the uh, Imperial. So she's celestial size almost. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So he's definitely going into this this aspect that the Phoenix is a celestial being uh, or the, the, celestial the universal force. force. Yeah. yeah. And I, if, when, I first, when it first came out, I was kind of like, ugh, I don't like this, uh, this design, you know, I like the more flowing thing of it but now now it's clicking in this is her merging with the Shear aspect of her with that little feathery bird thing even the phoenix symbol itself is unique to it or designed more like a Shear style yeah. of phoenix symbol as well as the way that gene manifested it well it's I like, like the way the, the flame comes off of her and almost a silver banshee sort of uh effect yeah it's it's mm-hmm. like uh, uh, aliens. They kind of mimic whatever genetic structure they've taken over. Yeah. So the wow. age of the phoenix is here, huh? Yeah. How do you like this this black balloon with white lettering effect that he's used somewhat through all this? I like it. Now has he only used that off. for for Lalandra Phoenix? It seems I like I've never seen it before. I thought I thought in an earlier panel it got used for something else, and I'm just taking a quick look back because no, I'm not seeing it. I don't think so. Uh, I think when he w- when he had in the uh, actual issues when Gene was talking, he did did he just say had kind of a heavier line around her dialogue uh, balloons? Yeah. Or they were kind of uh, the, and even the, the enhanced. Yeah, the font itself looked a little different just to show that when she was talking like as Phoenix. Yeah. Now I'll say uh, overall, I mean, again, this is an awesome issue. It gives so much action and so much it, 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 with it with that action, a lot of exposition that's really uh, interesting. But at the same time, the way that the Dark Phoenix piece or the Phoenix piece comes in here, it's almost like a really weird aside in that, that, that intrudes upon the other story. I mean, I understand the need for it because that's part of the narrative he needs to continue. Well, he's but, got two I mean, storylines going along, and he's got the Sentinel one is kind of coming to a conclusion. This is but kind of running underneath it, but he's getting mm-hmm. check keeps checking back to say, "Remember this other storyline?" And that pretty soon, Sentinels is going to fall away, and this is going to come up, and that'll be your main story. Right, yep. but I, I think these last three pages were done so separate that that he could have sit there and said, "Okay, now's the point where I'm going to put these in." Like he could have done these a year ago. And and said, okay, I just need a perfect place to put them in. Yeah, maybe possible. As opposed as yeah. to, as opposed to the other one, but uh, yeah. Whew. Well, issue nine, beauty the cliffhanger. Anybody got some uh, final thoughts on that one before we move to issue ten, or do we want to take a quick podcast break? Well, did you miss me? Just here to tell you that the Man's Green Podcast is returning soon with new episodes, weekly episodes. With Super Friends and the Christopher Reeve movies behind me, we head into the late 1980s with the Ruby Spear Super Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman! 
intercut with episodes of Superboy. That's right, Ruby's Bear Superman and the Adventures of Superboy coming soon to the Bear Screen Podcast at www.com. All right, welcome back from that uh, podcast promo. We're doing Third Degree Burn, and we're just about to do X-Men Elsewhen, issue 10, where we pick up immediately where we left off. Who wants to start? Oh, you're leaving it to me, are you? (laughs) (laughs) You've done such a great job. Go ahead. And you fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) All right, page one, we're immediately right in the same storyline that we were when we ended issue nine, or episode nine, however you want to refer this. Um, And again, we're at the Shari, I don't know how you say this, Shar Imperial Imperial World Center. Um, Well, it's just been incinerated by the appearance of what we think is the Phoenix. Um, And we've got some ideas. Byrne has uh, told us basically who is being possessed by this force. But uh, somebody has just arrived and is calling Manta. And as we see him dig through the ruin, we uncover a body of his loved one. I'm not certain in the relationships here. It's been too long. But she recognizes him and says, Kalar. Kalar? Kalar. It's his name. Okay. Anybody catch the <laughs> reference there? Oh, yes. <laughs> a little, okay. A little t- like hitting us with a two by four. On the nose. <laughs> so taking a, a superhuman uh, effort to throw away the debris as if he was Superman, he cradles her in his arms. Manta, your light dims your... And she supplies, I'm dying. At least I die in your arms. Uh, and somebody, uh, don't recognize who this character is, Jaff? Jaff, uh, yeah. He's he's uh, one of the guardians of the Macron crystal from okay. the original Phoenix Saga. She, yeah. He's the one that punched Wolverine into orbit, basically. And and pretty bad ass. <laughs> yeah. Tough little scrapper guy. So he shows up. Is she gone? Gladiator, we can take no more losses. You know what must be done. And he says, no, not even you could survive. He says, I can die here. I can try, uh, die trying to save the universe. Which would you choose? So I guess he's giving him a forced choice. He can either sit here and grieve or he can try to pursue the, uh, the Phoenix Force, the entity, and try to save the universe. And that's the one first page that we've got. Interesting uh, planet shape or, or crescent. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. On the left side, vertical panel that shows you that it's a huge planet. Mm-hmm. And for the uninitiated, the BWS means black with stars, not Barry Windsor Smith. That's what I was thinking, Barry. <laughs> I was wondering what that, I guess that's a short. It's like the way he had to when they when they sketch something and they put an X in it. I knew that means like that solid black. I think, mm-hmm. um, and you can tell it's a dire situation because uh, Gladiator's uh, mohawk is must because it's always perfect. It never gets messed up. It's a little frizzy. Yeah. So, but you would expect if she died that he would have to stand up and shake his head and scream, "No, <laughs> really loud!" Do, do the Superman holding Supergirl pose. <laughs> yes, the Pieta, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving to page two, we're back to uh, wow. the confrontation of the Sentinels and the superheroes on the streets pace, of Manhattan. Right. This is the this is a- scene that John wanted in the last issue. Yeah. It is a- yeah. Yeah, the two-page spread of the Trask Sentinels attacking the X-Men in New York City. And the title is Convergence. 
Is that spelled right? I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's an extra E in there. Yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that is... That's his French. Convergence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So these are the Trask Sentinels that apparently were not deployed to the sun at the end of X-Men 59. Instead, they've been laying dormant all these years, waiting for Master Mole to call them up from upstate New York. So they are now on the streets... Uh, assaulting the heroes and giving them a pretty good battle royal here. And then the next two inserts here on Burn Robotics is a close-up of the left side, the left page, and then a close-up of the right side, the right page. And everybody's engaged, from the Fantastic Four to the Inhumans to the X-Men. Anybody want to comment? Mm. It's it's so much to take in, but where's the shawarma shop? (laughs) I think that's just to the left. You're just behind Cyclops' body. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's it's a powerful scene. It's really great. I can't wait to see this inked and colored and and then put together so we could see it in its full full spread. Yeah, this is gorgeous. I love that the Sentinel is blasting Ben. I love the way he's drawn his hand. We just kind of make the fingers out in the the beam. Uh, same with the one that's uh, blasting Cyclops and or uh, Cap and uh, Colossus. Yeah. I've noticed something about that title, the word convergence. About every other letter, but not perfectly, is fainter. In other words, yeah. the the N is not emphasized. The first E is not emphasized. The second E is not emphasized. Part of the N again is not emphasized, and the final E is not. I uh, can't figure out if that what is supposed to be a rainbow sequence. Or if that spells several, something, se- several different words uh, in one phrase. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to figure that out myself because the 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 convergence is definitely misspelled, um, oh. and vergence itself is not a word. So I'm I'm not sure what he's what he's going for there. Maybe um, it's just an error. Converge ants. It, it doesn't make been, any sense. To me. Yeah, it it there definitely. Uh, definitely raises a question and he doesn't usually i mean this right here just seems like such a big thing i think it has to be on purpose and especially with what you've noticed there um that that, you know it's it's interesting like the letter r the way it's got its outline only like almost halfway but if you spell vengeance you take the r the n out that's how you spell vengeance v-e-n-g-e-a-n-c i wonder if that has something to do with it convergence I'm just thinking that Boy, it's, 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 vengeance is spelled that way, except the R you put an N. But hmm. it could be just well. Maybe think. maybe he'll he'll reveal this or he'll play this out later on and make reference. Have it make sense later on. Turning to the third page now. Yeah. Close up of yeah, the page. thing and Wolverine. God, the, the the work on the thing's hands right there. Just the detail in that, and then the thing's face too. I think that's his foot. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is, that is his foot. I mean, oh, it is his yeah, foot. I thought that was yeah, his hand. It that, is his that's foot. That's his foot and his toes, yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, I remember recognizing that before. It's just like, ah. Oh. But, yeah, just the detail on all that is, is you don't get that from other artists, at least not like this. Uh, there there have been some uh, after the Heroes Return that uh, tried some things I thought were interesting, but nothing like this. And this is just a callback to Wonderful Day, especially even the Iron Man shot there down in the second panel. I got a question about the, the I like the last page or the last the bottom of this where you've got uh, Psych and you've got Cap. You yeah. got a situation where you've got these two guys, which are natural leaders, who takes over. My gut says Cap because I think, he, but or do they do they split? It's like okay, Psych, you kind of kind of lead the X Men. I'm going to lead the Avengers and everyone else. Or they're coordinating. They're coordinating. Yeah, and working together. 
Now look, look, look just above that panel where Storm is uh, lighting up that one sentinel, and his arm is it's exposed, exposed, so you can yeah. see all the inner working. Yeah, she's kind of terminated him in there. I like, I like those Cyclops telling the torch not to get cocky. <laughs> That's not gonna do any good. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> you know, it, a lot of people were talking on Burn Robotics about Cap's chainmail, and other people were trying to ink it differently and do different things. And he says the best way to to think about it is if if there is a shirt, a cloth shirt pulled over the chainmail. And I'm like, man, that'd just be really hard to get on, wouldn't it? <laughs> I like the fact that Cap is there, and he's very much aware of the situation, but he's not overbearing. I think, as a master strategist, I think mm -hmm. he knows when to delegate to Cyclops and when to delegate to, you know, Richards or to Iron Man. Well, I mean, thinking back to this point in time, isn't Iron Man actually the leader of the Avengers? I'm trying to think what's going on at this point. Or is it... Uh, it, it I mean, because if I remember back at that time, it was Iron Man, and then I think the Wasp became the leader. But she became the leader around issue 200, right? No, much later, I think. Was I think it was, it was after the debacle with... Uh, Ms. Marvel. With Yellow Jacket. Oh, okay. But, so that'd be like start, 10. Burn, uh, Stern starts to develop her into an effective leader saying oh they're talking about who wants to be the next uh, next chairman and she says uh wait a minute boys you're uh, going around the table but why is it you always skip me when do i get a chance and they say oh uh we didn't know you were interested she says why do you assume that so she uh she takes the reins there and i think she's become one of the most and at that time period one of the absolutely most effective chairman they ever had and i think that was the point that stern was making that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that all these characters, if properly handled, if properly developed, can be effective. And then somebody, Grunewald, pulled the rug out from under him with uh, Captain Marvel. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Storm taking over the X-Men. I mean, she was a leader even when she had no powers. It just goes to her character and what kind of leader she is. I, I think you're right, Kurt. I think Cap is, being the strategist that he is, he knows, he kind of probably instantly knows the strength of the team and how to use everybody. And he's not being pushy or being demanding or it's instantly knows how to put everybody into play so that the outcome will be in their favor. So page four, we cut to uh, looks like the Sentinel base or another Sentinel base being activated. Maybe this one's in Colorado. It looks like it's inside. No, it's not. No, it's information hidden deep within the secret structure in upstate New York. So a seemingly endless horde of Sentinels muster and launch. Their speed is beyond even the fastest look jet at, aircraft. Look at it's, all those Sentinels there. I mean, there's just how many are in that? I mean, it's like 20 or 30 so crammed these, together as they're leaving. Are these Trask Sentinels or are these Shaw Sentinels? Yeah. Yes. No. Okay. These, are, these are Trask. Trask. Okay, so it's the same hideout where the original seven came from, and maybe these are powering up or being regenerated or, or re, you know, whatever. They were being booted. Can they? Oh, if they can manufacture them that quickly, or being booted up so that they could uh, all take off, and then and instead of going, it looks like they just go all over the world. Instead of going to, they're out looking for any You see, I couldn't tell this was at first, but that's the White Queen, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Emma Frost. And okay. I mean, she's, from what I understand, she gets killed right there. Yeah, she looks like she's being, there's no recovery from that. And then there's Alpha Flight. And is the one in the third, is that the family from issue two? Yeah, the Evans. Okay. The Evans family. So I thought, and then it's uh, Avalanche there, isn't it? At the yes. last, yeah. That's the first time we've seen him, uh, except for Days of Future this, Past storyline, well, right? This happens before that storyline could even start. So this start. is his first appearance. Yeah. Which means that he was active with his costume doing something somewhere. 
Now, was he and Pyro really buddies? Because that, that could be that they're down in Australia. Because it says around the world. So X Men ran into him in California at some point later when you know Claremont and John Romita Jr. were working on it. But if he was hanging out with Pyro, he'd be in Australia. So moving to the fifth page, we're back to Sue Storm and Guyrich on the floor of one of the sub-basements of the Hellfire Club. Mm-hmm. And Sue is uh, very upset that she sees her child, Franklin, in one of these cryotubes underwater, apparently, uh, or at least in some fluid. And she's pretty shocked. Franklin, what have they done to you? But Guyrich says he's alive. Shaw wanted to harness his power like he did with the others. And her response is his powers, but we aren't even sure what those are. Okay. So I had expected at this point that they were going to unlock his powers, that he was going to become active. And maybe he still will. But uh, she she frees him by inserting her force field inside the tube and then expanding it. So the tube shatters, she grabs him, and she gives him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and then flees with him, saying, I've got to get it. Oh, we've jumped to page six already. Yeah. I've got to no, get that- him back to the Baxter building. No time to deal with Guyrich or the other prisoners. My son is all that matters. That seems, I don't know, I can see a mother's concern for their child, but on the other hand, that's not the heroic Sue that I think. Um, that, that's, that's a little mother. cold. That's, that's a just mother. A little, okay. That is that is a mother. I mean, I'm I'm married. My wife, no, as a mother, that's she would look around and realize there are you know a bunch of heroes around here that can help everybody else. I'm going to take care of the one I love. Now I, I got to say uh, on page five, I love the detail of her putting her hair in a ponytail there in the center panel. Yep, it's just that that quick detail, but it's one of those things that Byrne does that other artists you know don't even consider. Now as far as the liquid, it's probably that same stuff they used in the movie The Abyss. Yeah, help and hair, hair is good. Yeah. Uh, oxygenated emulsion. Yeah, yep. I will say I like the way he has drawn Franklin because when when he was doing the book, a lot of times he would draw Franklin to look lot, not like a child. And he, I've seen this. He tended to do this a lot of when he would draw children. They didn't look like children as as much as they looked like little people. Here he looks like a child. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. I, I, that's one yeah. of the things I think he's been trying to refine over the years. And I love that the the, um, the top scene where he's she's giving him mouth to mouth. I think that's a great. Uh, the detail on that and just him uh, her trying to bring, bring that little tear coming down her face but yeah that's funny because as much as that looks like Sue that looks like Johnny too showing how much they resemble each other it's because mm-hmm. of the hair yeah but the, the nose as well yeah mm-hmm. I never caught that before look at all the detail as she lifts off on her invisible force field the detail in the wreckage and the ceiling and the the buildings as she departs at the bottom of page six yeah and and, and the thing, and, and and Colossus both watching her. I just love the expressions on their face. Yeah, like, what the heck? <laughs> and the angle the angle of the, of the thing, you know, showing you how his eyebrows rest over, over his, eyes. his eyes like that. Yeah. Nice detail. And I love how he's like, when, you know, since when can she fly? So emphasizing again, this is something that nobody's... Yeah. Do you think, and I don't think this would, this would happen, uh, but to your point, Kurt, I, I think, I agree. I think this is a little out of character for her. Uh, would you think this would come up again? Would this come up? Well, if he, he's not following the Fantastic, I wonder if it would come up. There would just be maybe some old dialogue about 
will sue what happened you know maybe an argument between her and mr fantastic or something about you know you should have left those other people there you should have done something to help them in her argument this is my son and he's all that matters and i had to get a safety i don't know if that that point would be brought up again but i thought it'd be if it well, was now looking at this from a logical standpoint as long as they're in those tubes undisturbed they're alive right i mean so you know, it's they, okay they, for yeah but when she broke franklin out of there she actually endangered him yep yeah. And so she would be the cause yeah. of him dying if he did die. Yeah, she's got to get him taken care of. The others can be dealt with later, you know? And I mean, she can't sit there and stop to fight the Sentinels. If any other one of the heroes fell in combat, someone's going to stop and try to help them out. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with what she's doing here. And that's just me. Okay. So moving to page seven, we change scenes now. Uh, they're in Indiana to the west where the professor and Kitty are visiting, and I don't remember their names. The Martins. Uh, the Martins, the mother Ashley. and the daughter, where apparently Professor X has has gone into a trance, broken off in the middle of a sentence, and left them wondering, hanging, what's going on? And uh, Ashley wonders, is it more with the Sentinels? He says, yes. I think that's a close-up of his eye as he's making psychic contact with uh, a lot of the team, not just uh, Cyclops, but Iron Man and Reed Richards as well yeah. as they continue their fight against the Sentinel. And if you look really close at that eye, there's a face behind it. Enlarge what? it. Enlarge I... your PDF and look behind the eye. You can see the hint of a face. Oh, yeah. I can. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Interesting. I don't know if that was... He changed his mind as to what he wanted to do and erased it and then just redrew it or if that's just some really subtle thing, but it's cool, whatever it is. Who is it? I don't see it on my... My monitor does not have enough resolution. It kind of looks like it might be Reed. Okay. Yeah. Because there's no visor over the eyes, so um, it's not Cyclops. I'm thinking it might be Reed, and he and Reed have a very good friendship, so I could see him trying to do that, but yeah. Or is it the... Well, or, or is it Cyclops' eye inside the visor? That he's saying, yes, Professor, I'm receiving you. That, that made more, more sense because the, the face does a little yeah. bit like Professor X. And that eye would be all red, maybe. And that would be, yeah. Yeah. he's saying yes. Yeah. So At any rate, they make connection. And the uh, again, another panel of the X-Men struggling against the Sentinels. And then sort of a profile shot, not quite Mount Rushmore, but we see the Professor's astral image next to Iron Man, who's, again, complaining about other people <laughs> sticking their minds in his head. And uh, Reed. Uh, maybe and they maybe that's when he goes all Civil War on people. Could be. Or they're, they're doing Zoom, and they're all talking at once. Uh, pretty, pretty nice detail on this page. Yeah. Moving to page eight, we cut to the favorite wall crawler. Spider-Man enters the fray from above. Well, well, well. Looks like the big kids have come out to play. I should lend a hand. I have an advantage since Sentinels only go over mutants, or only go after mutants, rather. And uh, he's coded as a non-mutant variant. So they're going to terminate him. Now, is that with... Master Mold that's making that determination right there? That That is that is Master Mold, I think, saying that. Saying that, but another Sentinel's coming in to kill him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would, so look, look at the design of the the heads of the two sentinels. So I think yeah, that's definitely yeah. the master. Yep, yep. You're right. There was an and old I, poster years ago from Marvel Mania that features Spider-Man in sort of in very uh, watercolors on the side of a building, and I believe in the background the sentinels are attacking him. It never made sense in any continuity at all until now. I wonder if this is supposed to be a throwback to that or a hearkening to that. Do you know the image I'm talking about? 
I don't think I'm familiar with it, but it could be. It was a poster, if I'm not mistaken, that was sent part of a series of five or, or eight posters or four Marvel Mania posters. When you joined the club, you got various images. Well, those images have been incorporated at different times in different books. The leader in the Hulk showed up uh, as a cover or, or was used in continuity. But the one that didn't make a lot of sense was Sentinels attacking Spider-Man or Spidey being in front and center with the Sentinels in the background. If I can find it, I'll, I'll share it on Facebook. That'd but cool. uh, it's it's pretty well known, but it's it has never fit in continuity until potentially now. I didn't I didn't I yeah. quite understand. I know Spider-Man is the Joker. You know, he's the, the quipper. But he to him to think that the Sentinel is bluffing. He's like, yeah, you're, you're just teasing me. You know, you're just fake, you know, screw with you. You're going to stop right about now it's like no that doesn't make sense he's a robot he's not gonna doesn't have a sense of humor it's not gonna uh be playing with you like that you know you just get to you know just to the point so we can you know get a great shot of him getting blasted off the wall with his uh and his pupils i didn't understand the pupils i love that that's a very <laughs> yeah, ditko I mean, that, throwback yeah from the very first story when when spidey realized that the burglar was the guy he let go we got that kind of expression from mm-hmm. spidey with the the dots yeah mm-hmm. that's great Showing on the eyes, yeah. And I do think his spider sense would be a little more, it would go off a little sooner. When it's first coming at him, it would let him know, no, this guy's really going to kill you. It would go off then instead of, it seems like it's going off a split second before it blasting. I Uh, did note uh, Spider-Man is supposed to be, uh, well, not a teenager here, but I think his, uh, how to put this delicately, his gluteus maximus is rather (laughs) small in both images, both uh, the top right and also in the center of the page. That's a really small butt. Yep. Not that I'm paying a lot of attention to guys' butts. I'm just saying um, when you're, it's when an you're, interesting the, interpretation. When you're viewing Burns' art, you know, anatomy is one of the things that you're going to notice. Could he pick up quarters with that? I don't know. Shouldn't ask. But you're, you're going to notice things about anatomy when, when, when Burns drawing it, and that, that's one of them. Uh, you know, I, I always question not just Byrne, but every artist's interpretation of Green Lantern because it appears he's got no junk. Yeah. You know, it's not like I sit there and try to single out things like that or look at things like that, but you do notice it. Yep. Yeah. None of the superheroes have have packages, if you want. <laughs> the only thing that we ever do see is breasts. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. That's good. So comics. Thank you. Thank you very well, much, Mr. Brown. I got I got a question. Listen, as a Spider-Man fan, I should know this, so I'm apologizing for not knowing this. At the time this book was out, was he? Did he have his uh, his underarm webbing in his costume? Yes, he's always had it, but most mm-hmm. artists do not draw, draw it. Draw it. Okay. No, no. There was a there was a, an issue of Amazing where he made a conscious effort of saying, "Yeah, I've got I got the material now, so I can sew the webbing back into it uh, underarm." And that was a Roger Stern issue in like the 220s or 230s so there was a period of time where he went without the webbing uh so i, I have to look and see when roger stern took over if, or if it, i want to say that was amazing spider-man in the 230s uh which would have been in the mid 80s that's been the 80s that would have been at the time of this yeah. but it to, maybe to kirk's point it's just that some choose not to draw it and yes uh yes if it's always meant to be there they just don't draw it it's a difficult costume to draw because of all the lines and all the webbing all up and down the, the shoulders. And there have been conscious decisions for artists to, to just eliminate the under-the-arm stuff. Um, I don't recall exactly where it dropped off. Probably Ramita dropped it off uh, as he started drawing it around issue 40. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look sometime. And the Sentinel does to those sound effects that I really wish lasts for the rest of the thing, destroys them. 
Oh, so yeah, the, bottom. the big thumb? Yeah, the sentinel is just like destroyed it and like, yeah, please get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. And and we got page nine then. Yeah. We have uh, Storm rescuing Spidey. I've got you. And they have a conversation about, uh, gee, my head's still spinning. He says, don't worry about that. She says, uh, down is of greater concern. And it looks like the Sentinels are massing to drive the humans in front of them. But Spidey rescues them in some sort of a giant sack or net. And he, of course, makes a quip. Next time Jonah goes on one of his anti-Spidey raids, maybe you folks remember this. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very nice... Bronze, like that happened. Very Bronze Age. Nice... Uh, Spidey vignette here. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice little moment with him. And then we cut is back. That, is that Colossus on the Sentinel's shoulder pounding away? I'm trying to... In that um, bottom panel of Spidey... With, yes, with I all... think you're right. I think it is. and Yeah, because there's the thing. I and I love that he's on top of his shoulder there trying to pound, t- tear the helmet off like he did to Magneto. <laughs> yep. Good so stuff. So page, page 10, we jump 50 miles away where we see a comet or a meteor streaking down to apparently it's Charles Xavier's mansion. It's certainly the school and it abruptly changes course. So it's clearly not something natural lands in a huge flash and something crawls out from the flaming wreckage. It's not clear to me if this is supposed to be Phoenix, if this is supposed to be Clark or, um, you know, I think it's Jeff. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that at all. Because, because so is he now possessed? No, no. no I, I think, think he's, he's gone to Earth to to battle Phoenix, or to he's he's gone on a mission for something. That's what I got from it. Remember at the end of the panel in the beginning, where he's like, "I'd rather die doing something than here saving the universe." And I think this is what he had to do. I think Not they probably assumed that said he wouldn't survive, and this is something that he could easily survive. What I, possibly on Earth could hurt Joff? That he's gonna, I think Joff is going to take on the Phoenix, the the Lalandra Phoenix, and but why go to Earth? Because I mean, they probably Phoenix. feel that there's that connection, her connection to Xavier, the the connection to of Phoenix to Earth, and it moves the story along. <laughs> I like how Brian's Brian's trying to lead us to uh, somebody hunting Gene, and I tend to so, agree with that. Mm-hmm. That's where this is headed. So yeah, I think that's just my reason. That's my only reason to think that that's where he's coming is they're thinking phoenix is tied to the x-men it's their fault they tried to destroy the it's their fault about the Mcron crystal and everything and everything comes about <laughs> to the x-men so um i think that's why they're just probably coming here i just hope that that this thing crashed in the same area where the strategic crashed yeah you know when the x-men came down otherwise the, the whole area around xavier's mansion is just going to be <laughs> like right devastation. <laughs> Potholes of uh, of uh, meteor yeah. of uh, meteor side. The bottom panel, yes. I say, is gorgeous. The, the with the black silhouette coming out of the fire, all that rubble in the front. Uh, this whole page is a lot of it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of action. Uh, this is great once it's colored. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I got to tell you that that image of the of whatever it is crawling out of there. That's just me on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> so going yeah. to page eleven, we have Reed Richards. Uh, working, trying to be stealthy and sneak into, is this the back of Master Mold? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so he's working to try to expose something inside. He's going to plant something or change something or program something. Uh, Professor Xavier tries to warn him, whoops, he's sensed your presence. Look out. A nice arg scream as Reed is shocked. And that's about all that I've this, got on that page. This whole page looks to me like a page from Hidden Years. 
Yeah. In, in the layout and design of it. How does Xavier know that Master Mole has sensed Reed's present? Is he seeing it through Reed's eyes, or is he somehow reading Master Some, Mole thoughts? Could be that he's t- polling the thoughts of everybody around him, and someone else has noticed Master Mole's turning his head back. I mean, it could be something as simple as that. It's hard yeah. to say. Well, here's another question. Were... At the time of this was would have been written in 75, 70. No, 80. <laughs> been 80. Was, were computer viruses a thing? Were you, were you using that terminology? Um, there were Probably some not. very early uh, viruses that were created by people within the military th- itself um, that could work on uh, earlier systems of Fortran and COBOL, uh, which these things would have been programmed in, in variations of Fortran and COBOL. Uh, my father could uh, program in that. And uh, yeah, there, there was there's definitely viruses or uh, back commands that uh, they could throw in that could easily disable something like this if you know what you're looking at. Cool. And and remember, he's not really setting this. I know. Back in that time period, you know. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, there's a lot of anachronistic stuff in here. It's- yeah, yeah. We're, there's we, going to be some timey wimey stuff, but all this is happening now. Yeah. In 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 our comic book world, this is happening now. But this is the only story that's taking place in this comic book universe we get a nice little john uh, ben grin under reed's arm in panel three uh, behind a tablet i guess that reed's working on yeah all right moving to page 12 he, uh, ben catches reed then as he collapses and has to uh, recoil yeah. he's all right he's just stunned for a moment cyclops says were you able to implant the device he must have been, says Storm. Everything depends on it. And yes, it's securely in place. One more step. I guess Reed is stretching to the flying bathtub where he's yep. flipping a switch or activating something. And immediately we have a nice scree as Master Mold uh, rocks his head back and get, prepares to vomit his internal... St- <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was uh, Alpha Flight. No. Uh, instead, um, instead, he collapses and all the Sentinels are about to clap. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I first saw page thirteen, I thought that one sentinel was putting its hand up to its head and blowing its own electronic yeah. brains out. It does look that way. I, but, I, yeah. I got the impression of you know at the end of uh, RoboCop two when RoboCop two kind of starts malfunctioning, he starts twitching and uh, and all these sparks are going off. That's kind of what I thought the, these guys would be doing. That kind of same reaction till they all fall over. The almost Harryhausen effect mm-hmm. to it. Exactly. Yeah. So 13 is a full page uh, panel that shows all of the Sentinels buckling, um, grabbing their heads, collapsing, and the heroes are cheering as it's apparent they're all going down. Well, the nice Canadian phrase from Wolverine, beauty. (laughs) They're all going down. (laughs) I think with a little retooling, this this page itself would make an awesome cover. So instead of it looking like everyone's falling down, uh, it would be a great cover, like Cyclops blasting and the the Sentinel blasting back. You know, take away the f- fact that it's actually them collapsing. But mm-hmm. man, this would this could be a great cover for the story, showing mm-hmm. them everyone attacking the um, the Sentinels or the fighting the Sentinels would be a great great cover. Yeah, but if you take the X Men and the, and and the torch off this, it's the Sentinels playing Twister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking just remove Johnny. Uh, that way, you have the upper left-hand corner to do some sort of a logo that says X Men Elsewhere in the upper left-hand corner. Yeah, uh, just yeah, by eliminating that way. Him. That way, you've got just the just the X Men instead of uh, that one. And that the one and their little yeah. headshots. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. All right. Yeah, the next page. 14. Um, All around the world, vignettes of all the the, uh, Sentinels collapsing. 
I like how he framed these as photographs. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Eiffel Tower. We have, jeez, so, uh, what else do we recognize? Is So this Italy? is interesting to me. So um, it looks like the second one where it's under all, that's in Italy. That's the Vatican. Okay. So there's some mutants in Italy that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, below that, we're, it looks like Morocco. we're in Africa somewhere. Yeah. So... Is that John Byrne running away in the the? I couldn't tell. Bottom right, the hat. photographer <laughs> could <does>. be. <laughs> could be. What's the shirt say? I can't quite make it. World's greatest grandpa. Yep. Yeah. Probably. I would say that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so then that there's some more more in Africa or Morocco, wherever. And then Paris. Here we got. Now we've got yes. three in Paris. So there there's a lot of mutants there that we're not dealing with yet. And then the last one would be Japan. There's Japan. Sunfire. Yeah. Right. I love that shot of Vindicator. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I, I I wish that we'd gotten more of. Mac Hudson as Vindicator. Yeah. Well, well, now we have the opportunity if yeah. Burn goes there. Yeah. So yeah, we'll great shots, great shots. Next page, we're back to New York, uh, where we see Iron Man collecting humans out from underneath a collapsing Sentinel. You this is almost too easy, says <laughs> yeah. uh, Wonder Man. This makes me think of the the scene in um, Guardians of the Galaxy when the uh, nowhere is blowing up and uh, Rocket and uh, Groot is grabbing Rocket and pulling him out of there really quick. The way Iron Man is pulling those people out, you could almost see him like twisting around and flying away. So again, the next panel, we see the Sentinels fall one by one until not one remains standing. He makes a big point of stating that. Because at the bottom of the page, as everybody's taking a breather and going, Phew. so this finishes them all, huh? Of course, Cyclops turns and says, wait, I'm sensing Gene? And that's going to lead us to the next page. Yeah. What do you think of the third panel there? The uh, the backs of all the heroes that are standing down. Yeah, the, especially Wolverine and Colossus walking arm in arm. <laughs> and Wolverine is really, <laughs> really short there. You, you figured Peter would change into his non-armored form to give him, give him a little help there. Yeah, this yeah. is this was one of the complaints with some some people had is like what they're just going to infect them and it's over and they, I'm like yeah th- but it's a comic book way to get the story finished you know it does almost seem too easy uh, but uh, it's the way so it is is, is Reed carrying that uh, that skull from the or the the um, headpiece of the Sentinel? No, like I he's... think he's checking it. Yeah, it looks, it looks almost like he's trying to take the head off, doesn't it? It does, <laughs> but I don't think he's strong enough to. <laughs> Certainly not from that angle. Okay, um, cut to another location in New York where a few minutes ago, Sentinel was confronting Jean Grey, surrender yeah. Jean Grey. This time there's a comma after the word surrender. Instead of, you remember an issue or two ago when the Sentinel arrived, he made the statement, surrender Jean Grey. Oh, now, yeah. Now it's worded a little differently. Surrender, Jean Grey. She, of course, tries to uh, crawl back away from him. Um, but uh, he states, mission is to capture, not kill. Surrender peacefully. And all of a sudden, he gets screed or crashed or st- struck and collapses face first. Apparently, he misses her and the other humans and falls on whatever this honky-tonk bar was. <laughs> so she's running and says, hooray, you know, she's away, but she doesn't realize that she's not running on the ground. In fact, she's running a couple of inches off the ground. And we should talk about that because I don't understand the significance, except as she's trying to flee, the survivors crawl out of the wreckage and said, there she goes. Don't know how she did this, but it had to be her. 
leave me alone, leave me alone, please leave me alone. And one guy pulls up a shotgun. I think that's a shotgun. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a shotgun. Pulls it up. She's wobbling around like a hog on ice. Never heard that expression before. Don't matter, shoot her. And in the last page. It may may not be a shotgun because it's actual four individual bullets, four individual shots. I don't think it's a shotgun. I had a little problem with these guys that obviously seem like rednecks, but this is somewhere in New York. And like being from Texas, I don't think these guys, I'm not anybody in New York that talks like uh, Well, Well, they're. They're yeah. elsewhere in New York, not necessarily That's New true. York City. Yeah, these are just fans of Duck Dynasty, okay? Okay. Okay. Based on, based on the beards. So the last page <laughs> is a full page, I'm going to say, apparition of Jean Grey being pierced from behind by three or four, four shots. Bacow, 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 bacow. Uh, the guy clearly has shot her straight in the back, right through the chest, right through the heart. Uh, there is no way, if she's real, that she can survive it. And that's but, where we leave this story. I mean, Burns not been, you know, afraid of showing gore. We've, right. we've seen that. Seen that. So this is not doing anything to her body. It's destroying her no, shirt. I think it's, well, but is it destroying the shirt or is it going through the shirt? I think it's just oh, phasing it's through. right through. Yeah. Hmm. Now, is she controlling the phase of things or is this demonstrating that this is not really Jean Grey? Uh well, remember way back when, and you all touched about it last episode, the the bottle of milk passed through oh. her hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, He's bringing something here, and I don't, I'm not sure what it is because it's never been part of her Marvel Skill girl set. powers. And it definitely, I don't think, was a Phoenix thing. I don't remember Phoenix phasing in and out of stuff. Phoenix so, had a way of doing a molecular rearrangement of virtually anything. Um, she was even able, strong enough to hold back Cyclops' blast you know yeah. from from coming out there's You're nothing right. that says that gene couldn't just... molecularly rearrange her own body but i think it's something else i think that that it is a side effect of the the lobotomy the separation of that phoenix force it wasn't complete or correct and she is you know basically becoming less uh affected by the the tangible plane okay. but there are other other effects too like that little flying duck or flying bird thing that she made fly even further there's, you know, there is a uh, maybe a symbiotic effect going on between her and the Phoenix Force. But all the power and that would be the only reason why the Phoenix would be coming back to Earth. But all the power she seems to be displaying, other than the making the toy bird fly, seem to be Kitty's powers. You know, phasing, mm-hmm. walking on air. Uh, but I don't think that I don't see the connection between that unless. This isn't really. Maybe this is not Gene. Maybe this is some kind of psychic projection. Maybe this is not uh, some kind of a manifestation of the residual power of the Phoenix or or something. And maybe that's why Jeff, to your point, came to Earth because he needs. Maybe he needs her help somehow to manifest. You're going to have two Phoenix forces coming at each other. Well, as they did in the search for Spock, they had to reunite the Katra with the physical body, and so the concept of Having to merge the two or having them drawn together is not unusual. I think Byrne did this in The Incredible Hulk at one point well, where he separated he the se- two. Mm-hmm. He separated Banner and the Hulk, but it was Al Milgram that, that came after Byrne left the book. And uh, both Reunited. Banner and the Hulk were, were expanding and becoming almost a, a ethereal in their form as uh, they started to die. Mm-hmm. And so they brought the two together and the vision came in and used his power to somehow bring the two together. Um, it was kind of ham fisted in my opinion, the way it was handled, but they were just trying to get the Hulk back to square two. Well, maybe it's, I, 
maybe the thing that we see as a phoenix that we saw in the last issue is mm-hmm. Jean Grey's body without her consciousness. So it's that's why it's pure hatred and pure power. This is to Kirk's point, maybe this is her katra, but it just it's 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 losing cohesion somehow. So that the little bit of humanity in Jean was what was keeping the phoenix in check when she was phoenix. Yes. And yes. to your point, they have to bring these two back together somehow to then destroy it or have her take over or something. Do you think that he's going to bring Jean back as a full person once the storyline is played out? To some degree, because she's an uh, an original character, I think, yes, she'll always be a player. I think mm-hmm. if Byrne has always said, you have to play fair, when you leave a book, you have to return to the status quo or put all the characters back in their places or be close enough to them that the next guy starts out with a recognizable team instead of leaving it on a terrible cliffhanger or mangled so that it's it's an unrecognizable team or group. At least that's what I've heard him say continually. You always have to put the toys back in their their boxes, back in the places when you complete your contract, when you leave. And I think he's tried to do that with a couple of notable exceptions. Yeah. Now, I want to... Go back to something here because I I know I'd seen it before, but I don't see it now. Uh, early on in the previous issue, Colossus got hit by the Sentinel on the leg. Yes. And wasn't there an image somewhere in there of Colossus with some sort of leg brace on? Well, uh, Wolverine's helping him. If we go back just two pages, two yeah, three pages, I could have sworn that I'd seen an image of Colossus with a, a leg brace. Now the the double size thing doesn't show that leg they got hit. So no, but if you look at the page where he's got his arm around Wolverine, look right, at yeah. the leg that was hit. Looks like his boots gone. Like it blasted is it the his left boot. leg. It's the right leg, and isn't that the one the that right got, blasted? got blasted? Like his yeah, his, that's the one that got blasted. Like his boot was disintegrated because he's got a boot on the other leg, the left leg. But it looks like he's drawn his uh, the lines of his muscle or however whatever whatever gonna is. Yeah, yeah, the metal organic metal. Yeah. Well, Brian, you said there were going to be repercussions when that, that blast happened. That's what I was talking about. And again, it may have been a page that Byrne had shown later that uh, I'm going to go and look on his website real quick while you guys are vamping. Okay. But, vamp, vamp, vamp. Uh, so this is wrapping up the Sentinel storyline. Uh, this yep. is the 10th issue. As we come to the end, any final thoughts as we get close to the end of our time period here? Well, yeah, it's just it's going to just go right into another big probably at least two issues for dealing with the age of the phoenix which is going to be a very interesting story so looking forward to it yeah i agree i mean i think this like most sentinel stories is it's resolved but it's not i mean they're going to be put on ice yeah. until they need to bring them back and there's like you know some reason why they were able to to, to work around the virus or it's a new brand of sentinel ring and something yeah so like, you know, we'll, it's like cyberman and doctor who you know they got to bring them in for their story get rid of them they'll come back later when there's a new doctor or later down the road yeah uh, exactly i'm kind of interested in if this is 10 you think 11 and 12 12 would be the big finale with the phoenix uh to and if you bring her back to your point Kurt, if you bring her back so that say if he left the book, you know, all the characters kind of back in place. If is she's either going to be back as Jean Grey and somehow the Phoenix Force is going to either be uh, suppressed and that's something she's going to fight forever. Or is it going to be gone until it rears its head again later in the story when somebody wants to use it? Or is it going to be gone for good? Yeah, yeah, I think the Phoenix is going to be separate. That way you can't use the shooter argument that Jean has to pay for all this. The Phoenix is the villain. 
and Gene is the hero that kept it from you know destroying everything. Um, and and so yeah, that's that that was the intention of Claremont and Byrne back in the day is that Phoenix was going to come back separate from Gene as a reoccurring villain. Um, there was a, uh, a a a piece of paper that had plot lines from about one thirty eight to one fifty, and one fifty was supposed to be a climactic battle with Phoenix. I want to draw your attention to that final page, the big splash page with Jean being shot from behind. Look at her left hand. The anatomy isn't quite right, or maybe it's foreshadowing because the arm is supposed to be turned, but there is something not right about that hand being splayed out the way that it is. Yeah, it's a little finger or something's off on that. And there's think, something else here, too. I think the crotch of her pants looks odd. Almost yep. like she's actually wearing a That's what diaper. I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to make a comment about that, and I was trying to think of how to say this delicately. But <laughs> sorry, um, it, it looks like it's a you know he's he he's drawn the nude figure and then put clothes on her. That's how how I see yeah. his approach to this. And you know, until I sit here and I'm talking it with, to to you guys, it doesn't bother me at all. It's only when I start looking very carefully at it that I'm starting to you know look behind the curtain and go, well, how does he put this together? And I'm thinking that's how. He's done it, but I really don't know. Any other final comments? Well, I hope when back a little bit to Gene, I, I hope when they when he finishes this, I, I would like to see her back as a strong a stronger version of her Marvel Girl persona. Uh, I really like that, and I'd like to see that come back. Maybe due to due to her what what he did with uh, Sue Storm, which is have her realize her potentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as I like the Phoenix, I always liked her as a, as a super empowered or stronger version of Marvel Girl. I, I'm not really into this whole cosmic entity and having her battle mentally the whole time because then we get this little soap opera thing. So I hope they separate. He separates her and just keeps Jean back as a, a stronger version of of the Marvel Girl uh, character that that we that we care about. I agree. That'd be good. I, th- I thought these last yeah. two issues are pretty cool. I thought it was a lot of action. Yeah, there was a lot absolutely. of stuff building up. Um, the Sentinel thing kind of ended the way it was, you know, kind of end. Um, they're never a real, you know, they're just like I said they're kind of just taken off the board until somebody else wants to play with them. But it does set up. I'm interested in the way th- where this is going to go, and you know, who was the guy that landed on Earth? How's that going to uh, facilitate whatever needs to be done? You know, is Phoenix going to come to Earth because there's some connection here with Charles and Gene? So I'm hoping his his issue 12 is maybe a big double, maybe a little more pages to. Well, and, and you all have seen some of his artwork released uh, featuring the, the uh, possibly the Nagari revisiting the Nagari demon after the Christmas issue. Oh yeah, I heard that. So probably yeah. true to, and uh, this is not a spoiler. He posted it, so uh, yeah. So probably true to how they used to do stuff, where they have like a series of action, 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 action issues, and then they have like the relaxed issues. So I don't know. Maybe that's going to start off as a little less. Well, the, the- the page that he put out the other day has got Kitty and Colossus walking through a snow-filled area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Kitty basically, uh, you know, the caption above it says basically it's been a quiet time for the X-Men as they've recovered from the you know more recent adventures. Yeah. So, so that's the downtime. This And it's going to crank right back up. Maybe we'll get and the this, softball issue. So that pulls this story into right before X-Men 143 where she has her Christmas, the, the battle with that demon, you know, at Christmas time because that, that episode said in the new year. So... That's a couple weeks after the, or a week after the Christmas one, at least after 143. So it's kind of placing this in some sort of a time frame. Yeah. Right. And, I think and, 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 
he's got a, a loose thread in terms of uh, Franklin and Sue that I'm I hope that that plays out and I'm a little worried that when we get to issue 20 I'm a little worried I hope he doesn't do this but I'm afraid that he may have Franklin just just as he re-envisioned the pocket universe and just changed all reality I'm a little worried that that's where we're headed down at the end that when he mm. gets tired it at the end of 20 it's like okay press the Franklin reset button and that's all she wrote yeah I hope he doesn't go that route but I can see him setting that up as a possibility no, that's his back door so he, or his you know his escape cause there he do it or not do it but it's there in case yeah I agree Kurt. I, don't, I don't want him to do that but it may be that this is all self-contained uh, a separate side from everything else it's a what if universe yeah mm-hmm. yeah now he's starting on issue uh, 14 though he's he's had to uh, finish scripting on 12 and 13. <laughs> So he, he's just now trying to figure out how issue 14 is starting. But uh, some pages that he has shown is that he had to do some flashbacks back to Gene's lobotomy. And you can see those on the, the Burn website uh, in the X-Men Elsewhere comments, but it's on like page 12 out of 51. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But it's a, it, it's, it's a really good uh, page, and it's got a variation on that, you know, haven't you done enough already? But uh, I could not find the sequence with Colossus with the leg, uh, the thing on his leg, because I know I'd seen it, but he had some sort of brace on his leg. And then there was another shot, a full shot of the X-Men themselves uh, standing that, that was supposed to be of, a, of, a, of an upcoming issue. But then again, this, I'm just looking at the comments from issue 10, and I may have to go back to issue 9 to see that. But uh, that being said, again, you know, these these two issues are some of the most enjoyable ones in this. And the art is just as crisp and beautiful as as anything we've seen Byrne do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, anybody that says his older stuff was better hasn't seen this or just wants to say that. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. He seems to be getting a little I don't want to say better, but he seems to get a little more comfortable with what he, as he's been drawing these. So it seems to be getting stronger as these go along. I think these two have had some of the best artwork we've seen so far. Yes, um, I agree. Okay, guys, we've been at, uh, talking for about two and a half right. hours here. Um, Tim, John, Brian, I've really enjoyed being part of this, and we caught up with all the issues that have been released. What do you want to do next time on an all-new episode of uh, Third Degree Burn? Copyright Indian Well, we've been... Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit. I mean, Tim has talked about doing an issue of Space 1999. Uh, but I know that you have just recently re- re-read Hulk Annual, uh, re- uh, read Hulk Annual 7. Yes. And uh, you had some thoughts on it that I think differed from Tim's and mine. I'm, I'm wanting to go back and listen to the old show. Because we covered that about, what, a year and a half, two years ago? Episode 20, um, where, where we covered that. But that was such a fun issue i thought but i seem you seem to see like three stories that's kind of disjointed and this is a roger stern book too it's not just a you know burn telling the story it's stern writing it so for homework assignment if you haven't already <laughs> listened to episode 20 or read uh, incredible hulk annual number seven that's our homework for next week is that what you're suggesting well, again, you know, I, I wouldn't mind revisiting it. And, you know, the thing, I, I, as I looked on episode 20, I saw that there was a link to Amazon to the uh, original story. But it's actually a link to a Hulk uh, trade that you can actually buy in Kindle format. So you can read this thing, and the artwork on it is so uh, 
uh, much easier on the eyes than the printed one. The I mean, I, I love the floppy, but reading it in a digital version gave me a greater appreciation for the art that was done, uh, especially that scene where the, the Master Mold is flying up to the asteroid. And that's not Asteroid M. That's the Sentinel's asteroid. It's a completely different one out okay. there. So there's a bunch of asteroids or meteors or whatever out in space orbiting the Earth. One Magneto has, one of the Sentinels have. Superman flew one up there a while back. Uh <laughs> So, you know, there, there's plenty of bases out there to work with. If we could just get out in space more, we might be able to find these things. Space Force. Yeah. Well, um, do you mind if I take us out? Take Please us out. Please do. Okay, first off, before I take us out, I got to say, we need feedback. We need to hear from you guys exactly how are we doing now. Do you like this format uh, as we've been doing it on the weekly, as we've been covering these? Please write us, either on the Facebook page uh, where you, you, you saw this, um, or on our third degree burn page in Facebook, or write to us at our Gmail account. That's gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Uh, you could also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Uh, we could use the reviews. There's four of them up there right now. They're all five star reviews, but we could use more. Um, but that right there is the show in a nutshell uh, for third degree burn. I'm Brian Hughes. I'm Tim Elliott. John Hyatt. This has been Kirk Greenfield, and I thank you. Good night. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant tale. The mutant tale has now begun. X-Men. X-Men. This is the day. This is the day. X-Men. X-Men. Magneto's horns are all the way to pillage, burn, and plunder. But there's one team that will not yield. The team that strikes like thunder. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.